Oh, hey, everybody. Hey, Brian, hey guys. Cassie, what so is up? So good to see you. So fucking dope to see you. Munya, how is New York? Oh, it's good. It's good. Um, um is it wet enough for you? <laughs> what? You know, because of the, 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 su- the subways and, and, and the tweets. Oh, Oh yeah, that, that that was like back from the summer. Sure, sure. Well, it's a great day for a boat trip here in Seattle. Yeah, how's that QAnon council doing out there in Squim, or should I call it the Council? <laughs> oh yeah, they got voted out. They're not around anymore. Sounds like Munia is not the only one that had a storm come for him. Uh, should we? Go meet Greg on the boat? Yeah, that sounds good. What the? What is that? Oh, hey, guys. What are you doing, Greg? What did you do to the boat? Oh, you must have noticed the new addition I'm building. It's now two stories, complete with a roof deck. Is that just plywood you found lying around? Yeah, it's great. I just tripled my square footage with a little sweat equity. I just thought, you know, wood floats. Uh, it's a boat. Put them together, and voila. Nyad is looking better than ever. But why did you do this? <laughs> well, after you introduced me to Tracks NYC, YouTube filled my recommendations with nothing but rise and grind influencers and boat maintenance videos. And ever since, this thought just keeps popping in my head. I need to get my passive income on. Wait, you think that you're going to rent out that room on the boat? In socialist free Seattle, where landlords are discriminated against like black people used to be? Watch yourself, Greg. (laughs) Look, I'm leaving the nanny state behind with all of its rules and red tape. The sea is my mistress, and it calls to me. That's right. I am going seasteading. But why the apartment, then? Well, after listening to your show, I learned that just going out into the frontier to just build a home and live your life, well, that's for suckers. The real money is in renting on the frontier. I guess you could say that you are part of my inspiration for this project. (laughs) Anyways... I'm going to look over here and check my uh, jib or my rigging or something. All right, guys. I think something might be wrong with Greg. Hasn't he kind of always been like this? No. No. This is definitely probably something new. Do you think it could be all the gas fumes in the boat finally getting to him? Or maybe it's just (laughs) that weird cat suit he keeps wearing. That's Skimbleshanks, the railway cat. He's been wearing it ever since we saw cats two years ago. Guys, could it be that he has once again lost the Thanksgiving spirit? (laughs) Oh, hey, guys. Check out all the crypto investments I'm making on this app that Tom Brady showed me. It's looking grim, y'all. And, well, there's only one known cure for losing the holiday spirit. We We need to put put on a Thanksgiving pageant spectacular! Tell all the people that
Sunset on another wonderful winter day in Seattle, just as the freaks sat down for their annual Thanksgiving feast. Mmm, these potatoes are great. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, and this turkey is really complimenting my BTS sweet chili sauce. It's nice to be able to sit down to a Thanksgiving meal with friends. But, Brian, you've hardly eaten your savory seafood aspic. What's wrong? All year, we reach so many people with our excellent and correct opinions. Tens of thousands of people hear us weekly. Easy. Of course, but I can't help but think about those that are only getting 50% of our message. Or worse, none at all. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is true. Not everyone has been converted to freak thought. Even fewer have dedicated their lives to intellectual combat on our Discord. But why? Why would they want to live like this? Maybe they don't know that for only $5, less than the price of a Starbucks latte, they can become beloved patrons and have access to our weekly Patreon episodes and the vast Mechanical Freak Patreon archive. Not only that, but they would get access to our Discord where all the cool kids are hanging out and making memes. It sounds like they'd be stupid not to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian, we were able to leverage several big guests on our show, Ending the Myth, to broaden our listener base while simultaneously building our parasocial bonds with our diehard fans. Yes. While there's always more work to be done, Freak Mindset is spreading to more and more people every day. I guess I do have a lot to be thankful for. You know what? Go ahead and pass me that stuffing. You deserve it, buddy. Oh, hi there. Welcome back to Mechanical Freak. And our third annual, or is it our first annual Thanksgiving pageant spectacular? Because it's the first Thanksgiving that I'm getting to enjoy with my friends Munya and Cassidy. Oh, I'm Greg. <laughs> Brian is here as well. We're missing our dear friend Colin, who perished while attempting to single-handedly tear down a statue of Christopher Columbus. Wow. <laughs> King. R.I.P. Yep. It's Thanksgiving, the settler colonial celebration you know and loathe. We're on the boat enjoying our Thanksgiving dinner, and you're at home, 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 suffering through yours. And that's why we're here today, to give you a respite from your family or whatever horror that you're enduring today as the nation celebrates its imperial genocidal past and present. So sit back and chew your cardboard turkey with your earbuds in to drown out the inane political arguments between the Lib and MAGA factions of your family. Or, I don't know, take a walk. Uh, This is going to be a long one. No need to take it in one sitting. Think of it as helpings. Uh, You know, you don't. You don't go right for the pumpkin pie uh, immediately after stuffing yourself with mashed potatoes. Uh, so <laughs> spread this out over the next few days and uh, 
you know, we hope you have some fun with us on on this wonderful Thanksgiving day in the year of our Lord 2021. <laughs> Gang, so nice to be here with you, first of all. Hey, and also with you, Greg. Indeed. Good to see you, bestie. Uh, how do we like to celebrate Thanksgiving? Well, I like to hang with my friends, hear about the exciting things they're doing. But even though my podcast hosts are here... We have so many friends that aren't with us right now. Maybe we should give one a call. <laughs> That'll be fun. Let's do Let, it. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Hello? Nicole! It's Greg and Munya and Cassidy and Brian from Mechanical Freak. Uh, hey, Nicole. Happy Thanksgiving! Hey. Hey. How goes it? Uh, happy Thanksgiving. I'm at dinner with my family. What do you guys need? Well, we thought, you know, we take this time on Thanksgiving to ask you about what you think the future of abolition and abolitionist politics in Seattle is. Um, so I would say the future of abolition is, you know, community-based power. It's all about building community power and alternatives to incarceration and to police. So we don't need them for everything. And so that is what I will be doing. Well, it's Thanksgiving, uh-huh. the season of giving thanks, showing yeah. your appreciation to those who you love, like maybe some people who helped you this year. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I really have a lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful for my family, for my friends, my campaign staff and volunteers. Yeah, a lot to be thankful for. Aren't you forgetting someone? Um, I guess like the Democrats and all the labor unions, I'm pretty thankful for them too. So thank you for reminding me. Maybe somebody else. Um, no. Nicole, what about a certain critically acclaimed podcast from whom you received the influential, exclusive, and particularly meaningful soul endorsement? The one that was listed number four on your endorsing website. Oh, okay. Oh, you mean you guys? I lost my four points. Some would say because of your endorsement, but you want me to say thanks? I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now for something completely toxic. <laughs> Mechanical Freak presents the Big Soy Naturals Thanksgiving Special. Hello. Welcome Hello. to Big Soy Naturals. Hello. I am Kendall. I'm Cerise. I'm Kendall. This is Cerise. And this is very relevant. To today's little segment, we both use they pronouns, and um, it's it's giving thanks. <laughs> it's giving thanks. It's, it's giving serving thanks. turkey. the The potatoes really snapped. <laughs> yeah, they went off. We yossified. Uh, I don't know what do people eat on Thanksgiving. I was stuffing. raised vegan. Stuffing, you, I guess that's yossify the stuffing sometimes. Whatever. Uh, It's like like bread and raisins. (laughs) Whatever. So as usual, we're in men's business. Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. I think, is a traditionally masculine holiday. 
And so what we're doing for all of you as a gift, as they thems, is we're teaching you how do you alienate your family as quickly as possible at the Thanksgiving table in a way that has so non-binary vibes. Yeah, really non-binary, really niche micro internet celebrity. Like you really want to let them know that you're a little more important than them, but only in certain spaces, that space being Twitter and maybe your podcast. And not Um, only are you more important than them, you are much more mentally ill this you is much more what we're what we're giving today. Mm-hmm. We're giving thanks. Um, what's a topic that you would alienate? Um, like a nice white middle class suburban, maybe urban, but they're still white kind of family with. Uh, the first thing I would do is definitely give them a synopsis of like the concept of ABO fiction. So like I'd really want them to go through like the the ins and outs of terms like alpha omega the way that some like men kind of um have these like wolf instincts slick um you know things like that really getting deep with them about it do not let them interrupt you just keep talking louder and louder the more they say this is disgusting like don't don't let them even get a word in just if they try to interrupt you tell them that interrupting is a masculine activity and that they are micro and macro aggressing upon you as a non-binary person. Mm-hmm. They're being super aggressive and you will be making a call out thread on Twitter. Um, and then after I give them that explanation, you know what I would do? I'd ask them who they believe in, you know, the public sphere is is an alpha or an omega. And no matter what they say, I want, I want to like contradict them. So if they're like, oh, Joe Biden is an omega, no, absolutely not. He is not an omega. He is a beta. Like that is just it. Edward Snowden, omega. Edward Cullen, alpha. 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 alpha period. Yeah. The second thing that you should talk about at the Thanksgiving table is Twilight lore generally. But more specifically, try to talk about what you think Edward Cullen's penis might be like. I will remind you, although hopefully you know this already as a non-binary person, that Edward Cullen's skin is described as feeling like marble in the books. What does that mean mm-hmm. for his dick? Does he have a permanently hard penis? Yeah, yeah. Or is it or or is it like on and off, you know? His skin is, is it- also described as being ice cold. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? For, for Ask your family that question. Ask your family that question. They should be able to answer that. If they don't, it's it's something phobic. You should be taking notes at the Thanksgiving table for a call-out post that you will be writing about your family to publish immediately once the dinner is over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my third thing that I think I'd want to do is, um, I, and I really want to start strategizing about, about different, like, people that you can pull into this, getting like the specifics involved. And I really think we need to start, start them young, you know, get to the younger generation, your baby cousins, your little brothers, even like your older cousins, newborn, um, really start like setting up the next generation for success to become niche micro internet celebrities with non-binary vibes, you know, ask to give them mullets. Um, 
show them your septum piercing. Um, I think rope them in by first by like talking about Among Us. That'll like, you know, they'll their ears will perk up at that. Like, oh boy, like a thing that I know about. And then you can start asking them like, which member of the Paw Patrol do you think serves the most cunt? Um, when you're like rocking your newborn baby cousin or, you know, second cousin once removed, you can just start whispering things in their ear like, yes, slay, uh, fucking estrogen. Ooh, ideally, ideally you want your, yeah, your baby like cousin's first word to be like <laughs> estrogen or something that just is really confusing to the mm-hmm. rest of your family. And that makes them not want to invite exactly. you to future events because they're like, oh no, like they're yossifying my baby. <laughs> and speaking of things that you can do um, to gender your family members, I think that the next thing to do would be go around the Thanksgiving table and assign each family member new pronouns based Mm -hmm, on vibes. mm -hmm. When you assign your mother he slash they pronouns, do not explain why. Just keep it going. Um, That's the sort of thing that I think will not only be off-putting, but also very alienating and will get you for sure uninvited from the next thanksgiving if one of them presses you on it like really hard just will not let you continue i think what you can do is just look them straight in the eye and say it's just so you you know um and just move on from there that yeah, in and you of just itself don't is seem like a she her sorry yeah. You just you just seem really you're, you're giving a lot of he they right now a lot of zzer like I just don't feel that from you. Now on the subject of politics, mm-hmm. um, we Very at Big Soy Naturals believe that pretty much every political discussion can be immediately devolved by proposing the solution of sexual mutual aid. When they ask you what you thought of the 2020 election, just say that you didn't really have (laughs) any strong feelings on either of the candidates because neither of them um, had any stance on sexual mutual aid. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, you know, go a little further and, and, you know, really like call your family to the discussion, like really bring them to the table on this. Like this, these are the serious issues they really need to be taking a stand on. Ask your dad why he hasn't let, um, sexual mutual aid become a part of the conversation between you between between your him and your mother. Like it's it's really important for him to be starting to de you know decolonize your mind decolonize. around sexual <laughs> mutual aid and do not define it when they ask you for a definition of it. That's for them to figure out. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not the other Google. thing that you should do. I think uh, on the topic of politics is just start like defining communism in ways that are like really obscure and like probably wrong, um, mm-hmm. but that will also get them upset. Um, yeah. Describe yourself as a communist, but then say that communism is when everyone is allowed to steal on Black Friday. Communism yeah. is when you have stuff and other people don't have stuff. Tell them that if you think that Greta Thunberg was serious about that whole environmentalism thing, she would have broken Ted Kaczynski out from prison mm-hmm. already. Tell them that you found out that Osama bin Laden is a Pisces and that 9-11 was a very Piscean endeavor. Do not explain why. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, tell your family that um, you believe that polycules should be allowed to secede from the United States, um, a plexit, if you will. Make a big deal at the beginning of the Thanksgiving discussion that you have an announcement to share with your family and that you're going to reveal something really important about your identity that you've been holding back for a while. Very intense. That you're really scared of and you're not sure if they're going to accept you. At the end of the Thanksgiving dinner, come out as a Depop seller. Tell them, I, I've been lying to you. I've been selling Y2K vintage um, this entire time. Why do you think I wore these low-rise jeans tonight? Like, it's just, this This is who I am. I think it's also important um, to come out and tell them about the uh, niche little uh, sponsorships that you've been getting into. Uh, make a really big deal that you have some huge news that you really need to share. And then say um, that the app Best Fiends has um, partnered with you um, in order to give everyone um, three free diamonds at the beginning of each game when they first download the app. Now, maybe you have uh, an anti-vaxxer at your Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. table and they start spouting off uh, some conspiracy theories about the vaccine. That's a great time for you to share some back. Tell them that you believe that the vaccine was full of estrogen. And so you got vaccinated not once, not twice, but three times. You got all three brands because you wanted Mm -hmm. that extra Mm -hmm. kick. You wanted that that little spice in there. Um, tell them that you believe that um, Joe Biden um, is secretly um, using 4chan. Um, tell them that you believe <laughs> that he's a, a deep 4chaner. <laughs> that he Kamala, wakes up every morning. Kamala Harris is on, on 4chan. Kiwi Farms. Yeah. See, I feel like we've left you we've left you with a lot of different things that you can do. Mm-hmm. The idea mm-hmm. is to both be off-putting and confusing. And I think that if you follow really any of these um, pieces of advice, you will successfully get yourself not only uninvited from every future family event, but probably also like disowned from any will or inheritances that you might have, which is important as a communist, you shouldn't be inheriting money. Um, Yeah. And then I think what you should do next as a final parting gift is put on Big Soy Naturals, the podcast on speaker from your your little iPhone, which is not very communist of you. And Mm. uh, just leave your family with that. That'll probably get them to leave the room. And then you will get to eat all the food that they made um, and you'll get to have it all to yourself. Yeah. All those, all those, those yesified potatoes. Um, and that, that was Big Sway Naturals. It's giving thanks. It's giving gratitude. It's serving, um, serving from the salad bowl. I don't know. Shut up. It's saying, thank you, Lord, for this meal. Thank y'all. Is that a prayer? Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, that's a prayer. <laughs> okay, Goodbye.
1-800-FREAK-STAR. This is Lucy, Lucy Applejuicy. How can I help you? Hey, Lucy Juice. This is uh, Roy. Uh, I'm in a bit of a pickle and I need your help. Bestie Roy, what brings you into Freak Star on Thanksgiving? Look, Juicy, it might be Thanksgiving, but I'm hashtag always organizing. It's my first Thanksgiving with my girl's family, and I want to fully impress my democratic socialist babe of America. I mean, she's on the NPC. I've got my DSA 100K hat, my rose pin, and the sign-up link pulled up. Juicy, who do I target to get them to sign up for DSA, and how do I do it? Oh, my dear, sweet Roy, I cannot believe you didn't see this low-hanging fruit right in front of you. Cousin Kathy? She's a Leo, sweetie. The Leo is searching for a love less ordinary, something epic, grand, larger than life. They hate the mundane. Leos love attention and to be cared for. They feel the need to distinguish themselves from others through their self and self-image. It's the glamour that captivates the lion, the ability to take the everyday world and make it oscillate at a higher vibration that requires flair and creativity that few possess. Okay, uh, so what does that mean? (laughs) Oh, Oh, Roy, simply ignore everyone else at Thanksgiving, darling, and when she rolls in, announce, finally, the party has arrived. Girlie wants to be the center of attention, so give it to her. She'll inevitably compliment you on your pink hat with the cute little rose on it in order to receive a compliment in return, to which you'll say, Are you joking? I'm disgusting. Comrade Kathy, pink is your color. Let her try on your hat and propose an impromptu photo shoot. It always works with a Leo. Then break the news to her. Sadly, you really can't post all these fire pics on the timeline if she isn't a DSA member. She'll be begging for the sign-up link. Best part, her sad reply guy, Aquarius husband, he'll sign up too without even knowing what he's signing up for. It's sad, really, but a two-for-one bestie. Gotta go. Have another caller. Hey, everybody, call that number if you want to, uh, you know, unlock your destiny. We've got a uh, lot to talk about, though. Uh, Brian, what do you have for us on this Thanksgiving day? Yeah, Greg, uh, traditionally every Thanksgiving, you know, we like to visit, catch up with our friend Bill Gates, the Gates Foundation. Um, Get another grant. Exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, Gates has been, uh, you know, captured, arrested, uh, subsequently tried and executed for pedophile crimes. Uh, The Gates Foundation has been brought into from the iron fist of Bill Gates, the silken glove of Melinda Gates, and is now just redistributing wealth around the world. And there's no more criticisms left to level. Yeah, we did it. We did it, guys. And, you know, that brings us to our next giant to slay and you know that's the giant of uh climate change and look guys it's serious and i knew for something on this size on this level a problem that affects us all globally there's really only one thing that can stop it and that's the market and where do you go to learn about the market well you got to go to the business press got to go a number one the financial times and guys 
you could be disturbed by some of the things I found in there. No doubt. <laughs> so I collected some climate change articles from the business press, and I just love to, to read you some excerpts. All right. I found this article right here. I just want to share it with you guys real quick. It's called Arctic Rivalry Heats Up Among the Great Powers. Oh, dear God. And here I thought the Great Snow Wars were 100 years away at least. <laughs> Greg, do you remember that game that I had you play called Detroit Become Human where like you were like yeah. that? It's like that like game literally like so it's like based in like this like near future, I think in like 2038. And um, like you pick up all of these newspapers and it will be like, oh, like world's like first like trillionaire and stuff. And like, uh, you know, and like one of like the big like plots in it is like this Cold War in the Arctic. And like with all of these superpowers, like fighting this like like shadow like war. It's really like a hot war like in the Arctic and everything. And um, and it's basically like saying like it's trying to they're trying to like drill for like the last remaining resource and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know. They're almost being too optimistic by thinking the first trillionaire and like this war will happen in like 2038. You know, like that's <laughs> <Yeah>. a little, <laughs> might a little be sooner like, than you think. Yeah, it might be sooner than that. <laughs> uh, very cool. Very cool. Um, less cool by the day, though. So let me go ahead and, and give you a little taste here. At the start of this year, India published a draft national strategy for the Arctic. Even for a country that is closer to the equator than to the North Pole, the Arctic matters. However, in an icy region that once served as a model for post-Cold War cooperation, the rivalry heating up among China, Russia, and the U.S. is cause for concern. At times, it can seem as if almost everyone is getting in on the Arctic Act. Apart from India, new or updated strategies for the region have appeared in the past three years from Canada, China, the EU, France, Germany, Norway, Poland, Russia, Sweden, and the UK. In Washington, the U.S. Air Force, Army, Coast Guard, Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, Marine Corps, and Navy have added to the pile of strategy documents. The striking feature of these publications is that almost all of them make reference to national security dimensions of Arctic policy. For example, The U.S. Air Force said last year that it is a zone of, quote, immense geostrategic consequence. Jens Stoltenberg, NATO's security general, secretary general, spoke in March of, quote, the increased military presence of Russia and an increased Chinese presence that's changing the security landscape. It's crazy, (laughs) y'all. What's going on with this Arctic war? I wonder what could be up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the edge of my fucking seat. I think that they, they just like the, the cold, right? I think they just kind of <laughs> like to go up there, maybe uh, construct a sled and slide down it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, the hole that gives you the access to the hollow Earth, where the uh, space Nazis keep their base, uh, that's in the South Pole, right? So I'm not sure why everybody's going up here to the North Pole. Idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Just military buffoonery once again. <laughs> so the intensifying rivalry reflects more than climate change and the disturbing implications for the planet's future from rising Arctic temperatures. 
Ultimately, the U.S., Russia, and China are eyeing each other with suspicion in the region because of sharpening tensions elsewhere, such as East Central Europe and East Asia, and in other policy areas such as trade, cyber activities, and space. Love to be concerned about the realm of cyber activities. Too many people. <laughs> <laughs> We're in an international arms race for people cybering. <laughs> yeah, if but. you don't like what you see on the computer, just like close your eyes or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> What's that well, got to do with the fucking Arctic? Yeah. Let me tell yeah, let me tell you, Munoz posted some things in the chat here that I clicked the link of, and I did not like what I saw. No, 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 no. <laughs> A level of Austin, New York City cooperation I hope never to see again. Yep, fuck that. <laughs> Arctic climate change is nonetheless an urgent matter for everyone. India's strategy mentioned the connection between melting Arctic ice cover and monsoon patterns. It also warned that warmer Arctic temperatures might release pathogens trapped under the ice and set off future pandemics. <laughs> well, that sounds scary, guys. Maybe we should be invested in this Arctic thing. Oh, luckily, there's been no paragraphs here so far that have made me a little concerned. <laughs> you know, that this might be about, I don't know, more worldly interests. Look, the deeper we tread into the Arctic the more danger there is of releasing deadly, like, uh, you know, ancient prehistoric pathogens. So we must militarize the Arctic. <laughs> exactly. To, to protect ourselves. Well, we know one thing. Uh, disease never follows war or military action. That's for sure. Yeah, seriously. <sighs> well, I don't know that we really need to go any further in this article because, I mean, clearly this seems all above board. This is just about defense. Uh but why don't I just read on? From an economic viewpoint, what? Climate change <laughs> holds out the prospects of faster, ice-free shipping lanes between Europe and Asia and of access to vast remote energy and mineral riches. In some respects, however, these prospects are more attractive in theory than in practice. Low world... Uh, Low world oil and gas prices, coupled with the professed goals of governments and businesses to move to a carbon neutral future, make it unprofitable to large, launch large Arctic energy projects. Oh, thank God, guys. The fact that we're just waiting for the ice sheet to melt away so that we could, you know, mine more oil and carbon out of the earth. Uh that seemed concerning for a second. Yeah, it kind of gives up the game, like, of any possibility of, like, the the current, like, global order actually, res like, even being willing or interested in responding to climate change. <laughs> They're just looking for the upside. They're looking for the investment, right? Like, any upheaval is going to make a, is going to make a lot of winners and losers, right? And if you can be in on the ground floor, yeah, obviously, like, you know, they're just thinking like, wow, yeah, more uh, more goods shipping around. And um, I'm can't wait till we start hearing about the oil that's under there. Well, Greg, uh, you sound very cynical right now, as if you didn't hear what I just said. Uh, there's low world oil and gas prices. So, A, the market already taking care of it. All right. That's your first layer of defense against removing more carbon from the Arctic, right? And uh, speeding up global warming. But also, governments and businesses, they've made promises to move to a carbon-neutral future. So uh, I don't know where your concern's coming from. 
Sounds like uh, sounds to me like they're banking on there being no polar ice caps. So <laughs> that that's a little concerning. Well, that's a touch cynical, but I guess I'll just read this next sentence. You know, maybe that'll help uh, make you feel better. The biggest exception is a Russian liquefied natural gas venture on the Yamal Peninsula that China is also invested in. Oh, but I thought they weren't going to get the like, carbon out of the ground. Oh, <laughs> damn it. Damn. <laughs> so just to close out real quick, in principle, the Arctic's most important future shipping lane is in the north is the northern sea route, which extends along Russia's northern coast and is increasingly free of ice. Oh, thank God. What a coincidence. For, for China, it can be 10 to 12 days quicker to send goods to Europe by this route than by the traditional one through the Strait of Malacca and the Suez Canal. Arguably, China has more financial resources than its Western rivals to invest in the infrastructure needed to exploit the new route. All I can say is I can't wait for the new American Naval Command that's going to be the Arctic Command. <laughs> oh, damn. Uh that's got to be like, I mean, that's famously, you know, the, the cliche is like, that's where you don't want to get sent as like um, a military officer, you know, like you don't want to get mm-hmm. sent to some fucking uh, post in the Aleutians or some shit. Um, but maybe this will be, you know, this will be the new like South Seas, you know, it'll be like uh, a tropical paradise up there. So it'll be the place to be. <laughs> Yeah, who is this? What's up? Max, Max hey, is Munya. What's hey. up, man? Oh, Max okay. is Greg, hey your old friend. Hey, hey, how's it going? Hey, guys, you, you know, it's the holidays, you know, it's crazy around here. What, uh, you know, I got to go. What's going on? I just got my... Hey, man, is that a bird in the background? <laughs> Do I hear a bird? Do I mean, you hear a yeah, bird, bro? It's a, that's, my, that's my two-month-old son. You know, he's... he's <laughs> I, I love him to death. He, he's awake. Uh Again, so you know, I gotta go. He has to eat, or I have to clean off his ass, or something like that. Man, that sounds so, fun. I don't know why you signed up for that, but uh, anyway, that's a that, that's cool, I guess. But when are you gonna come out to the bars with us, man? Like, I'm I'm in New York now. Like, let's uh, uh let's let's hang out, dude. Yeah, I mean, I'm I haven't been inside uh, any place except my apartment for two and a half years, Munya. So uh, that sounds great. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh well, okay, but I got I got tickets to the Chapo Buffalo show, and I have your name on it. And the thing is, like, they check like Vax cards with the name on the ticket. So I'm kind of like banking on you actually coming to this. And like, I was thinking that we can also take like the slow train, like the scenic route, so we can like you know like see like beautiful like upstate New York. Maybe like stop in Hudson Valley. I think it'll just be like a really cool thing yeah. um it's like happening in two weeks though so like you gotta we gotta um, get on a train now right to that yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, um, and i assume that you got the hotel cost as well so of course uh, you know i got it all covered look man i'd love to i really gotta go this this you know this kid's really uh crawling up my ass right now i gotta i gotta go you know attend to his needs and whatnot sounds like so, you're kind of giving it a big baby i gotta be honest <laughs> <laughs> you know uh max you know i I've known each other for a long time and you've always been a person of means. Um, 
But now, you know, I I just through the grapevine, I've heard that um, you are a landlord now. Did you buy a brownstone? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have, to, I have to pay myself rent to uh, uh, you know to, to to live in the the house that I that I have. Yeah, it's, it's the worst. I, I have, I'm sorry. I'm gonna start charging my baby rent. You know, I, I figure, you know, with the new the new Biden stimulus plans coming out, you know, he's going to be he's going to be rolling in it. And I can start, you know, I can start cashing in on that early. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, my mom tried to start uh, charging me rent once. And um, let's just say I'm not going to family Thanksgiving this year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Greg, that's really cool. I really got to go, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Max. All right. Wait, wait, Max. One more thing. one bit of good news i saw in uh, the financial times uh that self-same day they produced another piece that also just warmed my heart about the future of this world uh this piece was called climate change is becoming less a battle of nations than rich versus poor so yeah the fact that we're all going to fight an oil war in the Arctic for the right to uh, extract the last bit of carbon out of the planet as we <laughs> melt everything, uh, that may be depressing. But this this will warm you up because it's going <laughs> to let us know that the future is bright. As political leaders argue in advance of this November's COP26 UN climate change conference, the key divides over greenhouse gas policies run between states. Rich versus poor, fossil fuel exporters versus importers, and green countries, the Scandinavians, for example, versus the less green, such as Australia. But this may not last much longer. The fight to protect the planet is shifting in ways that could soon exacerbate conflicts within countries, particularly between social classes. Or to put it bluntly, between the rich and the rest. The top 1% by income of the world's population account for about 15% of emissions, according to UN data. This is more than double the share of the bottom 50%. The UN's 2020 emissions gap report says that limiting temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius, as envisaged by the 2015 Paris Agreement, would require the richest 1% to cut their carbon footprint by 2030 by at least a factor of 30. Well, I feel like that's going to happen, right? Definitely. I mean, okay, so they're they're correctly identifying. Well, I guess they're saying we're transitioning from like the great game of nation states into class war, which is you know only partly true uh, because like class war has been here all along. But I guess what they really what that means is that they think that the veil over the class war the uh, you know the mystification and obfuscation of class war in the coming years will uh, is like going to be lifted and you won't be able to hide it anymore because it's just become so ridiculous how these people are fucking cooking the planet well and i just love this i mean this is the beauty you get from the financial press right uh which is the admission that 
oh, don't worry. By by 2030, so the next nine years, all we have to do to keep uh, to keep ourselves from cooking the entire fucking planet is just convince the richest 1% of people to reduce their carbon emissions by a factor of 30. Yeah, just, just reduce it out of the goodness of your hearts. <laughs> that... That is a reduction, by the way, by a factor of 30. Uh, keep in mind... Wait, a factor of 30? Yes, a factor of 30. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. <laughs> they would have to have one-thirtieth the amount of climate emissions they currently have. I mean, That's well... That's not really a trivial amount. No, it is not, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you. I don't think this is. I, I'm a gun on a limb, guys. I don't think they're going to do it. Yeah, not willingly. I just, I just ran the numbers. It's not happening, guys. Like, <laughs> Check in the, the back of my envelope. The data speaks for itself. <laughs> well, let's hear more. Maybe, maybe it'll cheer us up. Yeah. Almost everything the wealthy do involves higher emissions, from living in bigger houses to running larger cars and flying more often, especially by private jet. Eating meat comes into it, does owning, uh, as does owning a swimming pool, not to mention a holiday home or homes. So, man, I mean, what, what could we possibly do about this? We can uh, grind and get holiday homes of our own. <laughs> we can, you know, we can become the rich, and then problem solved. <laughs> well, luckily, this article—it's not just telling you the problems, right? It's coming at you with some policy here. So, hell yeah, let's hear what they got to say. Consumers have shouldered some costs, such as green levies on electricity bills, environmental airport taxes, and appliance disposal charges. They have also been nudged into reducing their carbon footprint with subsidies for electric vehicles, solar panels, and home insulation. But these policies are not enough. As they announce much tougher emission targets in advance of COP26, governments will have to curb emissions directly. Extra taxes on everything from car fuel to household gas are an obvious option. But they would hit the poor as well as the rich. And to be high enough to alter super rich behavior, these taxes would have to impose unbearable costs on the less well off. Wait, how does that follow? (laughs) (laughs) So can't can't we can't we just expropriate the wealth of the rich? Like, how does that have to affect poor people? No, this is brilliant because basically what the author's doing is engaging in uh, realism here in the sense of saying, oh, no country's actually allowed to tax the wealthy anymore, like directly. All you can do is just put on like sales taxes and things like that, right? Yeah, everything flat has taxes to be, everything kinds, has to be yeah. a flat tax, right? Yeah. And then pointing out the very obvious problem with that, which is really like for fuel consumption, which the wealthy consume at enormous levels compared to everybody else. In order for you to actually put a tax on fuel consumption per gallon fuel consumption that would actually affect a super rich person who's the ones actually using all the fuel you'd have to put like a 10,000% tax yeah. on, like mm-hmm. on a gallon of fuel which of course would collapse the entire fucking economy like you literally because inequality is so high like nobody would be able to afford anything that would even mildly bother the wealthy <laughs> right like I mean, even like even a 50 percent 
tax on something like fuel for the super rich we're talking about, like that it doesn't matter. They're already spending ludicrous amounts of money jet setting around the world because they have more than they could ever possibly spend or invest. So that's the problem here. They have too much fucking money. Yep. It's almost like that's the, that's the source of climate change. And interestingly, I think the author points out you, you know, they don't say it explicitly, but what they're pointing to is the bind we're in, which is that the wealthy have too much money. So all the available political resources literally will do nothing to, to stop them from doing what they're doing. At yeah. the same time, because they have so much money, uh, yeah, you don't get any additional political resources at your disposal. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they control the political system, too. Oops. <laughs> I guess that was a problem. Now, you just described capitalism. Yep. <laughs> and so the real question in is, uh, what are we going to do about this? And the real answer is uh, they're building bunkers everywhere. Oh. So Hell yeah, we, we've talked about this on the show. Uh, Peter Thiel, uh, the head of, I believe, uh, the sea of Reddit, <laughs> um, uh, several other high profile people have been building bunkers in New Zealand. I think Sam Altman is doing it too. Yeah. The Sam Altman, the yep. guy. Yeah, uh, they're building bunkers in New Zealand. Uh, apparently, at a rate uh, that's so quick that's fucked up the entire like real estate market in New Zealand, and they've tried to pass laws to stop Americans from building bunkers there. <laughs> Good for them, honestly. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't give you hope. I don't know what does. I mean, they're in a they're in a very like privileged position of they've got a weird politics down there being like this, you know, fucking white colonial like mid-sized, really actually very large set of islands. But like they think of themselves as they've managed to actually shut themselves off from the world during covid. So not surprised they're able to come up with like some some unique political formations that allow them to do that but um it's not gonna help anybody else yeah yeah well anybody else that's a good question greg because we know the wealthy are building bunkers we know the pinkertons have completely rearranged themselves into a uh militia whose entire function now is to escort the wealthy from uh bunker to bunker um they've built like that- whole <laughs> that is wild i mean like that's oh, that's been the question you know when in the last like you know 10 years maybe five really when these people started talking about this idea of like the the wealthy bug out bunker like the stories were like well you got to make sure like your pilot knows that like you're going to take care of him he's got a guest house you know at the bunker you know so so that he's going to be there on the tarmac when you need to go and shit like that. And your security people, same thing. You need to like take care of these people. And that's an interesting solution of just corporatizing it, making it a service so that rather than them being like individual contractors who could just turn on you and take your, and like take your castle for themselves, they're, they're controlled by a larger corporate structure uh, that, you know incentivizes them to to keep you know to stay above board theoretically yeah and 
you know, I mean, they're even building fleets. I mean, Munya, you might have noticed some extra boats hanging around uh, the docks in uh, New York. Apparently, there's an entire company called Plan B Marine who is, has hundreds of boats in New York City that they keep at all the various little, you know, marinas and docks and stuff that the wealthy can lease the boat. So when they have to make a quick escape from the city, they can just hop on these speedboats and be sped away to, to the safety of presumably their bunker. <laughs> I've been I, I've been needed that, bro. <laughs> Shit, I have that, fellas. Am I right? When you can't find the Plan B at Walgreens, you gotta h- hop on that Plan B on the speedboat and hightail your ass oh out of there. <laughs> so the question is. What's left for us, right? What? Well, well, I have a theory. Oh, uh-huh. go ahead. Oh, I have a theory about what's left for us. I mean, what you're describing, I think, was theorized, at least in part, uh, by Frank Herbert in Dune. Okay? We haven't <laughs> talked about uh, the new Dune movie yet on the podcast, but I saw it. It's whatever. It was very tasteful. Uh, whatever. Um, but what you're describing is something where... A formation of absurdly rich people uh, with wealth beyond measure compared to the rest of humanity are building castles, essentially castles Mm -hmm. that they will hide out in because they have so much wealth and are so different from the rest of humanity. They want to keep that and ultimately their lives uh, when society is basically uncontrollable and lawless around them during war, uh, famine, whatever. This is the purpose of a castle in, you know, in feudalism, right? It's like, yes, it's like a maybe it's a seat of power. Maybe it's a seat of a garrison to control like some area. Maybe it's symbolic. But ultimately, it's a stronghold to protect you and your rich family. <laughs> and I think, you know, in, in feudalism... These were, you know, the people building castles were the either the uh, original accumulators of wealth, you know, in the Marxist sense, uh, who with like Charlemagne, like, you know, stormed over Europe and murdered a bunch of people and made themselves kings and dukes and such. And then after that, for a thousand years, it was their failed children and their children's failed children and so on and so on. But that's a whole different system in Dune. The dukes. And all, you know, that and the emperor are all just rich people who are all investors in a massive corporation that controls most of the commerce of the universe, the Imperium, like a gigantic like Amazon plus like fucking everything else. And all the other, uh, you know, power centers, various organizations all also invest in the Chome company and the feud what looks like a feudal structure of the uh the they it's called the Lannisrad, which is their sort of parliament of of noble ho- rich people houses uh is really just one part you know one collection of people that also then negotiate in a corporate boardroom and if you're an average schmuck living on some planet like uh whatever the Atreides planet is in the beginning, you maybe think of these people in a feudal sense, like, ah, they have these castles and they're the Duke and his family and they rule over me. But you don't really understand that the source of their power 
isn't necessarily from their ancestors having conquered, you know, whatever planet, but because they're insanely rich and literally own 15% of uh, the galactic Amazon. And I feel like that's what we're heading toward. Like (laughs) in the climate change, like apocalypse is rich people around the world in their castles, uh, having to reuse their wealth to in the, you know, a sort of moment of great change and vacuum of like some types of power will be in a, position to like reass might be in a position you can imagine them being in a position to reassert some kind of power using that wealth based on the locality of these like bunkers and making themselves little barons and dukes of the surrounding areas well greg you paint a very bleak picture but i got news for you uh we're not ruled by the spice here right we're ruled by the market (laughs) And so companies like Vivos X-Point is building a facility near the Black Hills of South Dakota. This consists of 575 military bunkers that served as an army munitions depot until 1967. It's now presently being converted into a facility that will accommodate about 5,000 people. The interiors of each bunker are outfitted by the owners at a cost of between 25000 to $200,000 each, with the price depending on whether they want a minimalist space or a home with high-end finishes. The compound will also be equipped with all the comforts of a small town, including a community theater, classrooms, hydroponic gardens, a medical clinic, a spa, and a gym. So, Greg, there is a middle-class option. You Mm -hmm. can live in an old ammo storage dump in South Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wants to go in on one you know exactly and i checked uh, i actually checked up on the vos x point website and they're currently actually doing 99 year leases too which means after the apocalypse you can still be a renter perfect fuck yeah we could get one share it you know just just bunk beds you know no fancy frills um just like a little barracks in the wealthiest neighborhood in america after the fall of the empire there you go and that's not all ron hubbard uh of atlas survival shelters in texas told business insider in the second week of august we made over 1.7 million dollars in sales in one week our bunkers on offer range from 100 square feet in size for around fifty thousand dollars quite expensive uh, efficiency yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean for re- for real estate like you know boasting about like sub two million dollar sales i guess in one week i mean that's pretty good but yeah uh to over ten thousand square feet for close to five million people are snapping up everything we have from in stock standard models to custom built designs are they are they buying the five million dollar unit because <laughs> You didn't mention that when you said you had a great week at one point. I feel like <laughs> right. you would have said, man, one time we sold, we sold, we cleared $5 million in sales in a week. Yeah. Uh, Damn. Again, Greg, this is bunkers for the working class here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you might wonder who their customers are. Uh, he shares. Our customers tend to be pro-Trump, pro-gun, educated, upper-class mm-hmm. Christians. 
He went on to say, "So just it, the Republican base, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just everybody who lives around Dallas, essentially." Yeah. Like, cool. uh, he went on to explain, "In my experience, you know who doesn't buy bunkers? Democrats. At least they don't buy <laughs> doomsday bunkers. They might buy our tornado or fallout shelters or safe cellars to store wine, but that's about it. Or safe space cellars." Oh, <laughs> got him. <laughs> Well, I like, uh, you know, he had his uh, tater salad bit right here, but then he was a little worried he might lose a client was like, oh, no, we, we have other things you could buy, like uh, tornado shelters. <laughs> you <can> buy <laughs> Locking your family in an underground bunker to own the libs. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I mean, uh, he, he goes on and says, you know, hey, these aren't your grandfather's bunkers we're building anymore. But. You might be thinking that sounds a little old timey. That that's not for me. I, you know, I'm I'm a modern guy or gal. Uh, you know, I, I don't go in for this whole Trump nonsense. Well, the New York Times had a story just for you. There are companies in this category that have been around for years, catering to survivalists and former military types, such as Uncharted Supply Company. And my medic. But as far as McGuire is concerned, these brands target outdoorsy cis white men with marketing materials that often feature muscular white guys wearing flannel shirts in the forest. As a result, a new wave of emergency preparation companies has arisen, ones that cater to a more style conscious clientele. Foremost among them are Preppy a goop-approved brand that sells disaster supplies and minimalist backpacks, and Judy, which has tapped celebrities like the Kardashians, Chrissy Teigen, and the TikTok sensation Addison Rae to promote its portable generators and waterproof supply packs. Lock them up. Lock them <laughs> up. <laughs> Indeed, it was Judy's approachable branding that caught McGuire's eye a year after she first tried to build an emergency kit and was overwhelmed with so much dread she abandoned a half-full shopping cart. <laughs> who, who hasn't? <laughs> I mean, who's amongst us? Quote, it looks... <laughs> It looks almost like a yogurt brand or something, McGuire said after seeing a Judy ad on Instagram. It's very friendly, and it's kind of making the end of the world feel a little more colorful. Quote, we took a potentially frightening and off-putting subject matter and made it more inviting, Judy's creative director said. So... Guys, mm. I'm getting a I'm getting a warm fuzzy feeling thinking about uh, surviving climate change. <laughs> well, the thing is, there's a little bit of doomsday prepping out there for all of us. I mean, granted, the wealthy building their multi-million dollar fortresses 50 feet under the ground with five feet of concrete surrounding it. Uh, they're the ones who will actually survive. But God damn it, if there isn't a grift for all of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Capitalism working again. Thank God. We're going to see those uh, those uh, startup uh, illustration people, like the blue people who are always on the splash screen of like startup pages. You know the people who I'm talking about. They're like <laughs> the kind of funky looking drawing people, mm -hmm. but they're going to be for bunkers. And they're going to have like, um, you're going to have sans serif font um on them too and they're gonna like 
not at mid-century modern. <laughs> well, I can't wait until our economy is based roughly 50% on crypto trading and 50% on prepping. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> prepping, crypto, and like buying stuff on like Farfetch. That's well, like, yeah, those are really two opposite impulses, right? Like, uh, the question is, do you believe in a future? And that's <laughs> that's your portfolio, you know? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, crypto's for you. No? Get yourself a bunker. Um, I mean... And if you're a billionaire... Diversify. Fuck it. Yeah, well, do both. Yeah, why not both? Exactly. And guys, uh, you know, why not get yourself, uh, um, you know, hey, uh, you know, rogue military uh, to guard it as well, you know. But I know that you guys are thinking, what are we going to do? I mean, look, we got this podcast millions. So we're not so broke that we got to pay 50 gram for 50 square feet, right? We can splurge a little. And just out of pure coincidence, one year ago to the day, Seattle Times produced this piece. Uh, this little bit of free advertising. Six million dollar compound up for sale, complete with safe room and escape tunnel. My eyes opened. My interest peaked. Yeah, wait, where is this? We're going to find out. For six million dollars, one wealthy home shopper, that could be us guys, can buy some pandemic peace of mind in the form of a decked out survival compound on a Whidbey Island bluff. <laughs> First off, I mean, I should have of asked course. you guys to take guesses of where it was going to be because I feel like Whidbey Island would have come up at some point. Yeah. <laughs> the 59 acre property just north of Lake Hancock on Whidbey's western coast spans three densely wooded parcels. The residence has bu- the residence has bullet resistant walls, a safe room, and an underground escape tunnel to the woods. A massive concrete tank holds 17,000 gallons of propane. In the 9,000 square foot shop, three shipping containers are stocked with emergency supplies that can be supplemented by the huge adjacent working farm. Uh, do you think the house is going to uh, you know, survive when you accidentally blow up the 17,000 gallons of <laughs> propane that you're sitting on top of? I like the idea, too. It says bullet resistant walls, not bulletproof walls. Yeah, Isn't every wall bullet resistant? Kind of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, my eyebrows. Yeah, it's like, it'll slow them down. It's like, I'm getting a fucking room. bunker. It better be bulletproof. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's like such an insult to say bullet resistant. Get that shit out of here, man. <laughs> yeah. Get that trash out of here. Well, look, there's there's other perks, Munya. Uh, here we go. From the, from the ad listing, toilet paper is hard to find. But there's a lot of it here. This is posted next to a video of the listing that shows toilet paper piled to the ceiling. <laughs> so that's that a why it's hard to find. Yeah, it's approximately one Costco trip right there that you just avoided. Perfect. <laughs> there's also plenty of what an anxious prepper may want more than anything. Secrecy. The property listing doesn't include an address, and Hansen said he plans to, quote, find a buyer for this place and then terminate its existence from the Internet. And the Times author writes, this article presumably does not serve that mission. (laughs) (laughs) The compound owned by former PetSmart CEO W.R. Ford Smith II 
was built to withstand a worst-case scenario. Construction started in the early 2000s, but Smith only began stockpiling in earnest after 2008's global financial crisis. Wasn't PetSmart out of business by then? Is PetSmart still around? I am curious about around. that. Yeah, I know that they like. I think they closed their location on Holman Road in uh in the Crown You're thinking Hill. Thinking of Pets. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I like how they're like sell like. All of this is like an, a value add or something. It's like a weird compound with a bunch of random shit like fucking, you know, shipping containers full of food. Like that's going to add to the real estate value. This is like when like a like a teenager like takes their like Honda and puts a bunch of like fucking aftermarket like racing brand parts on it and thinks that they're going to sell it for an extra $7,000, you know, after they've got done fucking with it, you know, like uh, that's not how it works. Well, they asked the question, you know, why, why would, you know, Mr. Smith sell this now, you know, right as COVID-19 cases are spiking. And it did point to disturbing trend for the Washington bunker real estate market. Uh, Smith is moving to Idaho and plans to build a similar facility there. <laughs> or Idaho, man. Like, what? Their, like, real estate has been going insane this year because of, mm-hmm. like, freaks like this. The bunkers in Idaho must look like those, like, houses in suburbia that are, like, 18 inches apart from each other, you know? Or, like, <laughs> right. you could, like, reach out the window and high five your neighbor, you know? Like,. <laughs> Well, I mean, some of them are like you're reading in these like complexes, right? Like these underground facilities that are all, you know, they is like it is like a little neighborhood. Well, there's a bunch of the you know, I know exactly these ammunition dumps that uh, this guy in the Dakotas was building or building the bunkers in. There's a bunch of those in Washington, both in eastern Washington, northern Washington, as well as a big patch of them in Arizona that literally just stored chemical weapons for decades and the weapons all leaked into the fucking ground and shit. And uh, I can't wait for them to sell those ones. That'll be sweet. Yeah. <laughs> That'll rock. Um, everybody's like, why do I, you know, why do I feel like I have smallpox all of a sudden? Or like, oh, no. like why, why, how come whenever I walk into this bunker, I, my eyes start burning and I just start vomiting my fucking lungs out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that'll be pretty sweet. Well, I want you guys to know that luckily, not all our business, not all of our bunker business is going to Idaho. The San Juan Islands have seen a major uptick in new ultra wealthy residents moving there during the coronavirus real estate real estate sales show. The number of homes sold for over one million in the islands is on track to nearly triple by the end of the year compared with 2019. The San Juan Islander reported last month. Many of these places are part of this bunker construction. So, look, maybe we're not at the New Zealand level of bunker construction for the podcast yet. But I think we could take a run at this Whidbey Island bunker, have a new podcast studio. I think that would be great. Get our minds cleared. Uh live and pod in one place uh it's got a it's on a bluff right that means it's on the water probably which mm-hmm. means we, there's probably a dock and i can keep the boat there well it's also on an island greg and an island basically is a boat oh damn wow so i guess no need for naiad <laughs> yep 
<laughs> we'll be in a, our bunker. Will be our boat. Our podcast powered by seventeen thousand gallons of propane. Perfect. <laughs> Cooking yeah. with that gasoline, baby. Oh yeah. Well, Hank Hill would be proud. Sounds like in the you know next few over the next like decades of our lives as we're waiting for the truly like catastrophic level effects of climate change to slow slowly pile up we'll also be dealing with just like insane real estate bullshit uh Mm -hmm. uh, driven unnecessarily by like uh out of control billionaires Uh, you love to see it well basically it's amazing that doomsday prepping has just become a stupid real estate bubble yeah <laughs> like everything in america like everything exactly yeah it's just become a dumb scam uh even the prepping kits are now just bullshit sold by tiktok influencers to you know uh the like you know addled brains of their fans i mean just Y'all amazing scared of the end of the world this is we're doing the end of the world challenge right the now little kit coming soon yeah (laughs) it's amazing it really makes me feel good i definitely think capitalism is going to find a way out of this crisis uh and not just drive the crisis further and further uh, down the road so very excited uh very excited for the future uh you know what i'm gonna put on my shades yeah it's looking bright out there all right uh well that sucked uh (laughs) Uh, let's uh, let's make a phone call. What do you say? You think yeah, let's uh, we can get our lawyer on the horn? Oh yeah, let's do it. Hello. Hey, codename Tanya. It's uh, it's, it's me, Brian. I'm I'm, I'm here with the freaks. Hey, hey. Tanya. Happy did, Thanksgiving. How did how did you get this number? Oh, don't worry about that. Uh, we were just calling I, I all of our it. friends this Thanksgiving. <laughs> I thought I was really off the grid. I tried to avoid. Oh, you can't. You can't scrub anything off the internet. Let me tell you. So the thing is, is that we're here. We just want to call our friends, give thanks. Uh, oh, what are you doing, by the way? What's, what's happening right now? Well, I have like my entire extended family here. Oh, that's cool. I was right eating? in the middle of serving them all turkey. We're having the full shebang. Turkey, what else? Um, what else there's got? mashed potatoes. There's some Brussels sprouts. There's a mm-hmm. fresh crisp salad. You got there's stuffing? Some, oh, definitely stuffing for sure. How do you do your stuffing? Um, more of like a sourdough bread oh. kind of stuffing with like a lot oh. of celery and like yeah, don't, you, that kind of don't you kind of feel like the salad though it, it's it's just bagging like we're, we're just behaving today you know like it's there so we can all feel good but I think in reality kinda, we're eating the potatoes i think it's like a, it's like a coleslaw salad like not coleslaw <laughs> itself but it has the same purpose like it's cold <laughs> crunchy do you put it into the turkey when you eat it no, that's the stuffing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks I'm not an clar- idiot. <laughs> thanks for that clarification. I almost made an enormous mistake. <laughs> that would be really yucky. Five hours slow cooked. <laughs> so naturally we were calling, I mean, not just to catch up with a friend, but uh, because our listeners are constantly in legal trouble and we know that you love to give actionable legal advice that you back up with your full guarantee you will defend them in court uh, if this ever goes wrong. Uh, and 
we got some legal questions for you today. So did he not get my cease and desist last so, year? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I I love that you gave I like it when you send us primary text examples of how the legal system works. And it's just like we're learning along uh, right with you. And it feels great. And, you know, the big issue that we're having this year is we have a friend. I'm not going to say what his name is. He lives on a boat and he's decided to build a second story on top of his boat using some bound plywood and such so that he can increase his sweat equity by adding square footage to the boat. Uh, Some people in the marina aren't thrilled about this. Uh, What's your position on this uh, as goes the law of the sea? Hmm. Well, I think it would definitely be in line with making Seattle denser, and therefore it's politically correct to (laughs) build a really high boat on the sea. So I would say if your marina mates are against it, then they're probably Republicans. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Sound legal advice. And that's a defense, a legal defense. I'm only annoying a Republican. And so... He also seems to have this plan that he's going to take it out to sea eventually to do something called seasteading. And he wants to put a tenant in that apartment union or in that apartment uh, up above on the top of the boat. Uh, what do you think the tenant's rights would be on a seastead uh, 20 miles off the coast of Washington? Well, you know, it's always true that once you leave the shore, you're in international waters and no law applies. So... I would say their rights are pretty limited. And Greg could probably, I mean, your anonymous friend could likely get away with it. I don't go telling people your name, codename Tanya. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like this person can basically get away with anything. I would say, including an up to murder. Oh, no. Well, uh, I'm sure our listener will be excited to hear about this new opportunity. (laughs) It's definitely actionable legal advice. (laughs) Well, um, now I know that you were looking forward to having a giant vacation uh, once NTK got elected and all crime would become legal in Seattle so you wouldn't have to work anymore. Uh, how are you dealing with the crushing loss that now you'll have to defend against even more prosecutions? It is pretty tragic. Um, I would say that I'm preparing by eating all this turkey so that I can get really big and strong, build up a lot of muscles so that I can really smack down some city attorneys. But luckily, um, I don't have to ever go to the city attorney court. It's like the clown court, and I don't have to do that. Because I'm not a clown. <laughs> so it'll suck for anyone who lives in Seattle and is targeted by the police in any way and anyone who has to work in that horrible court. But for me, it'll probably be pretty much the status quo. But I look forward to, you know, <laughs> making the prosecutors admit that they work for Ann Davidson. So, yeah. Since you were on the defense team, what's Kyle Rittenhouse really like? No, I'm just joking. Oh my god. <laughs> He's the voice Jesus. of reason. He, apparently, <laughs> I saw a headline that said that he is angry because his attorneys are fighting over the $2 million bail that his devoted followers immediately put up for him. So, like, when you are a defendant in a criminal case and you're out on bail, 
when the case is decided, even if you lose, the bail gets returned to you. But most people mm. work with bail bonds companies, and so it'll get returned to the company, and they are kind of none the wiser. But so Kyle House's lawyers just got a $2 million check from the court <laughs> because they had put up the bond, and they're all, like, trying to figure out, like, who it belongs to. And apparently sage wisdom Kyle is, like, telling them to be mature about it. Oh, well, so. good, good. I've got a voice, <laughs> voice of reason has entered. <laughs> Do you ever feel sometimes that you made the wrong move by defending actual human beings <laughs> and not just right wing scumbags <laughs> that you can easily get money off of? <laughs> pretty different if I, at the end of a trial, I got a $2 million <laughs> return of mail <laughs> that was put up by internet freaks. Someday, yeah, you, you could become a to. nuanced contrarian who um, you know has a regular sh- spot on Tucker Carlson's show, but you can say that you're a leftist and you're just owning the libs all day. Not like there's one lawyer who has defended right-wing freaks in the past who actually does that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just be well, copying that guy. Yeah, well, you already have one dog, so you're on your way. <laughs> you just need about seven more. 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> oh, shit. The turkey's on fire because I didn't serve it in time. Everyone's mad at me because I answered the call from these stupid hooligans on the boat. Oh, no. <laughs> I failed Thanksgiving. <laughs> Hope you guys have an awful night. <laughs> and lose my freaking number. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see you next year. <laughs> Thanks, Bye. Cody. Bye. 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 One eight hundred Freak Star. This is Lucy. Lucy Apple Juicy. How can I help you? Lucy, it's Emma. I'm sorry for calling on Thanksgiving, but I am fed up. My boss, who was on vacation for a week for Thanksgiving, still expects me and my three co-workers to come in tomorrow. Why does he get a vacation while we have to wake up bright and early after a holiday? The worst part, we aren't even getting paid more. Well, if he's going to go out of town for a week, I figured I would try to organize my workplace. I've been trying to talk to my coworkers about unionizing, but they're all hesitant. We're a small unit, so I know we can get it done. Please help. Well, it makes all too much sense you're having difficulty with a Gemini, Taurus, and a Scorpio, my dear. Let's start with Robin Marketing, the Gemini. There's so much childish innocence in the nature of Gemini, telling their tale of brotherhood, love between best friends, who are entirely different by character, circumstance, physical appearance, and upbringing. One day they're a hot lead, a solid one. Then when you open up your escalation tactics, they go icy cold. Frustratingly, once you lose interest and try to move on to another worker, they'll show up yet again with their heart on their sleeve in an incessant game of I love you, I love you not. Gemini is governed by Mercury, the messenger planet of communication. If there's no cerebral connection in order to get their brains filled with dopamine, they resort to making their life an intricate puzzle. You're simply a mere prop in their escape room. That all changes, however, when the experience of truly deep and profound meeting of the minds. If you can expand their cerebral horizons through challenging conversations, witty humor, and interesting avant-garde lifestyle, then they'll have no reason to resort to mind games. Now Tanya, the Taurus in accounting. Taurus can be stubborn, bullheaded, set in their ways. Taurans are the human equivalent of moss, a handmade wooden chair. 
They are normally satisfied with the things that uh, with the way that things are. They embody stability, sitting in a patch of grass, admiring the breeze. When everything else seems to fall apart, Torrens are the oasis of calm, a rock of dependability. Taurus loves a workplace filled with stability and routine and despise being told what to do. That's not to say they don't go through their freewheeling, get-around-town moments, especially before they settle down, but when it comes to employment, they want something long-term, rock-solid, no surprises. Because of this, at first glance, the Taurus may feel like organizing their workplace threatens the stability. However, Venus, the ruler of Taurus, it's the planet of love, beauty, art, peace, harmony. Thanks to Venus's sweet and sultry energy, Taurans are also known for their love of all things earthly and sensory. To enjoy life to the fullest, this sign is all about slowing down, taking it all in, seeking comfort. We often associate Taurus with the kind of beauty that's found in the environment of Earth itself. Think expansive mountains, alluring forests. Finally, your cubicle mate Steven, the Scorpio, Despite you sitting next to him for two and a half years, you still haven't been able to crack the code. Why, you ask? Scorpio's fear vulnerability. The feeling of being known. Darkness? A hiding place. Pain? An excuse not to trust. When they open up, it gives other people power over them, and Scorpios need to be in control. The illusion of control over themselves and other people is the only thing that will make them feel secure in the face of an otherwise uncertain world. They socialize behind double-sided mirror, always scanning, reading you while you can only see your own reflection. They prefer to be the people asking questions. They know the little things that make you tick, your pressure points, the subtle ways to procure the answer they're seeking. They are keenly aware of power, its flows, and their position within the matrix. Use this to your advantage, my dear. Uh, I have no idea what you just said. Uh, give the Gemini a copy of Red State Revolt, tell the Taurus they'll get paid vacation and guaranteed days off, and obviously make the Scorpio feel superior to everyone around them by telling them you need him and his expertise in your workplace in order to procure power and control from the boss. Say something like, we all know who the real leader here is, and they'll eat that shit up. Got another call. Gotta go. A lot of sound advice there from 1-800-FREAKSTAR, and more of that to come. It's now my pleasure to bring us an uplifting discussion of a new local Seattle independent film called Your Boss and Your Landlord Vote. It's a short documentary largely about the 2019 campaign to re-elect Shama Sawant in the 3rd District in Seattle. Uh, It was directed by... Derek Knowles and Luke Weigren. It's a very beautiful and poignant film about people organizing uh, in the face of the onslaught of the capital class. We're very excited to be joined right now with one of the stars of the film, Justin Roll. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for being here. Justin, 
in this uh, short subject documentary, you appear at least once standing in a crowd very visibly listening to a speech uh, by the aforementioned Shama Sawant. Um, tell us about what you brought to that role and how you made it your own. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Socialist Alternative came to me and said, you know, our, our protests aren't good looking enough. Uh, we need some better looking people here. So, you know, they had a meeting. They did their democratic centralism. They decided, hey, Justin, we need you in the movie. <laughs> We're going to give you a bunch of money and, uh, you know, you're going to liven things up. And, you know, I've got a family. I've got a feed. I've got a son I'm estranged from. I'm trying to, you know, see. I've got alimony I'm trying to pay. You know, the DSA hasn't abolished alimony yet. We're working on that. Um, yeah, so I, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll be in this I'll be in this movie. I'm, I'm an actor. I'm a performer, um, you know, and I and I performed. Um, you know, there are other people in the movie as well. But, um, you know, I think in in particular, my performance was pretty strong. So in the movie, Justin, are you a boss or a landlord? Um, you know, I'd say it's it's nuanced, Brian, um, because sometimes yeah. a boss can be a landlord as well. You know, there's people working at the realtor's office and uh, who supervise other employees. And that's kind of that was my job back then. So, you know, you could say I was both. Mr. Mr. Platt, um, I just like to step in here. Um, I am Justin Rolls agent. And I would just want to oh. make a correction to say instead of saying derogatory terms like boss and landlord, um, if you can please correct yourself and say job creators and housing providers. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I, you know, did not mean to offend. Sorry. <laughs> Question so, retracted. <laughs> uh, so, you know, are, are you happy with how the film turned out, Justin? Yeah. I mean, overall, I mean, I'm in it. Um, so, you know, it's going to be entertaining. Um, I, I would give the movie a strong, you know, five bags of popcorn and, um, you know, Shama speaks at a podium and has a megaphone. So let's throw in a little podium and a little megaphone as well, in addition <laughs> to the five bags of popcorn. Okay. Uh, any wow. other reviews from anyone else who hasn't seen the movie? You know, I'm going to have to give it one bag of popcorn. Um, I'm just, you know, I, I'm glad the SA saw that they needed some additional representation. But to be quite honest, like, there's not enough podcaster voices. And so... You know, unless unless I was going to be there, I just I don't think it's worthy of those five bags. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, as a podcaster who has actually seen the movie, though I do not appear in it, I actually was at some of the events that uh, it was filmed. I don't, I did and not catch myself. Out. They cut yeah, exactly. you out. Yeah, I wasn't good actually, looking enough. A big picture of Justin's face is where you're standing. <laughs> it's, but um, it's actually a great. Uh, it's actually a beautiful little short film it has a lot of sort of powerful scenes of people working to elect uh shama swant for the third goddamn time uh and uh that's relevant now because as we all know uh there's an inane fucking uh right-wing bullshit stupid fucking recall happening and uh we got to do it all over again Obviously, get out there, you know, make those phone calls, knock those doors. Uh, Shama's got a website. 
You can find out how to do all that on. But also uh, check out Your Boss and Landlord Vote. Uh, it's on Means TV for free. We'll link to it uh, because it's a nice remembrance of uh, struggle of the past and a morale booster for the uh, ongoing struggle to come. I think you'll enjoy it. Hey, it's Brian. And it's Munya. And we're here to tell you about Ending the Myth. Ending the Myth is the weekly podcast where we take a tour through the hellscape that is American history. Using historian Greg Grandin's book, The End of the Myth, as our guide. We've covered everything from the evolution of the legal system that enshrined slavery and racism into American life. To the ways in which the Spanish-American War was used to halt and then destroy the last remaining gains of Reconstruction. That's right. We have finally reached the 20th century, which means that it is a great time for you to join us on our journey. Yes, we have such sights to show you. And since it is Thanksgiving, we thought we might reflect on some of the friends that we've made along the way. Friends like Frederick Stump. (laughs) Yeah, Frederick Stump was a small-scale land speculator and store owner in Easton, Pennsylvania. The rise-and-grind small business tyrant we all know too well. Without having obtained permission from Philadelphia, he decided to move his family somewhere beyond the mountains where native people reportedly killed his wife and children, just like almost immediately. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> <laughs> now, Stump survived, and he and his German servant, Hans Eisenhower, who, by the way, was the great, great, great grandfather of future president Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yeah, it's, um, all, it's all a club, baby, and you're all, not in it. No, and you are not in it, and you'll never be in it, frankly. <laughs> Frederick Stump killed so many Indians that he was actually known as Indian Killer because of how gruesome and brutal he was. Uh, to people even shock, like, he killed 11 friend Indians, too, which was, like, a big no-no even in, like, Anglo-settler circles, too. Yeah, even then they tried to separate Indians out into different groups, right? The ones we're currently allied with to be killed later and yeah. ones we're killing right now. The ones who have but, a delayed delayed con- condemnation of murder. Yeah, uh, Stump, not recognizing, though. No. <laughs> just, just doing whatever <laughs> he wants. <laughs> so, you know, word got around town. It was a big, uh, you know, news cycle. And, like, Stump and Eisenhower had a super high bounty placed on their head. and um, Damn, they were, they were canceled. Yeah, they got canceled, you know, and it's just a shame how far uh, cancel culture is gone. But have no fear. Um, a gang that goes by a different P-Boys, um, not that one that we know, but uh, similar, is called the Paxton Boys. And the Paxton Boys came in with guns and tomahawks, swarmed the old log jail and set them free. They're gone. <laughs> so they got broken out of jail by a gang uh, called the Paxton Boys. And so after that stump fl- fled to Tennessee, we're fought under General Andrew Jackson. And more on Jackson in a bit. So, Brian, how about you tell us about William Travis? Oh, William Barrett Travis, he's a Texas institution. But before he could become that, he was just another fail lawyer from Alabama. He attached himself to a wealthy old man who paid for his education and for him to set up his law practice. When Travis couldn't pay him back, the old man took him to court as a debtor. (laughs) 
Classic. <laughs> Travis, a lawyer, made the classic early 19th century legal maneuver of fleeing the state in the dark of night. <laughs> wow, genius. Never would have thought of that one. <laughs> Always be innovating. Yeah. <laughs> In Texas, uh, Travis was able to reach his full potential and join the great legal minds of his era. He pioneered the practice of sending letters to Mexican officials, threatening them with coups launched from phantom militias if they did not support slavery. When one of those officials parried Travis's threatening letter by imprisoning him, Travis's fellow slave-owning Texians managed to free him. Gotta love those bands just freeing these guys. It seems like a common theme. I'm just like, <laughs> bands of people just like breaking them out of jail, but not in like a cool way. No, it was like, it was like a reverse Bastille, essentially. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Travis would later die as all great jurists do. Killed while defending a position he wasn't even supposed to be in in the first place. <laughs> Rooney, I guess you're saying if... He was the, you know, if he was in the Always Sunny gang, yeah, he's definitely the Charlie, Charlie Kelly. right? Yes. He's yes. Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not just because he's an expert in bird law, that's for sure. No, no, no. <laughs> More well, than that. Munya, you teased a little, but let's hear a little about our friend, Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, General Andrew Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if Stump was the consumer of like rise and grind hustle culture TikToks, Andrew Jackson was the influencer creating those TikToks. <laughs> all right. I mean, quite literally, he was Stump's general. I mean, that's the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> it was literally the influencer of the of the 19th century for Stump. <laughs> Um, Jackson is interesting because like, seriously, like he grew wealthy as not only a lawyer, not only a merchant, not only a horse breeder, but also a slave owning planter as well. (laughs) Yeah. That's what they, uh, call a grand slam in the 19th century. (laughs) So he was like a real pioneer of Tennessee. Like he was there even before it really was an official state. But when it did become an official state in 1796, uh, he became one of the first reps in Congress and then later served as a senator, then as a judge on the Tennessee Supreme Court. I mean, he was literally everywhere on Tennessee. I mean, it was crazy. Now, I want to circle back a little bit to uh, that last line of business that he was in, um, you know, planter, oh, slave you mean, you mean merchant? Yeah, merchant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Horse breeder. <laughs> um, Jackson notoriously profited enormously from slavery and slave trading. He owned 150 human slaves to work his plantations. And he was the only president, as far as we know, And that's an important caveat, as far as we know, (laughs) to have personally driven slave coffles, which is a procession of enslaved people often like rope by the neck uh, in like a line uh, marched from like one place to another. Um, Cool. 
Yeah, just like a very just cool guy. Um, he also was a, a first sovereign citizen because he tried to use the Constitution to like get by basically the 19th century version of like a traffic stop uh, where like <laughs> a guy like pulled him over and asked him why he was like, you know, running across like Indian lands. And he was like, uh, this document takes me wherever my business leads me. And, then, so, yeah. like, and I get there and he shows the Constitution. It's just like so hilarious. amazing. He didn't roll down the window of his carriage, you know. He just stuck it. He, <laughs> yeah, he stuck it in a little plastic on. thing, and then they, he's like, "I don't have to talk to you. It's not yeah. against <laughs> these are my Miranda rights." Uh, yeah, this is not uh, legal under Admiralty law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. And he didn't stop there. I mean, remember, this is the rise and grind guy. He didn't stop at being a slave owning, um, like TikTok influencer uh, who has like four different lines of businesses and like is also an attorney. Um, he was like, fuck it. Let me be a military general as well. <laughs> and, <laughs> and sure enough, Frederick Stump like joined his militia in Tennessee where, you know, Jackson actually became a really successful, uh, you know, military general, but really brutal uh, general. Uh, he took Florida successfully. Um, all the other presidents actually really did hate him because he was like the guy who was just on the front lines. He wasn't like a very like classic wiggish like a la di da type folk. He was, you know, like a rugged kind of dude, you know, who was like, you know, in the field. I don't think he was uh, debating the Athenian philosophers with uh, Jefferson and those other nerds. No, no. He was not a fucking nerd, like, <laughs> to be sure. So that, you know, that ultimately, like, really propelled Jackson to the presidency, where he was, like, one of the first people to run, like, a real campaign, um, really just kind of fostered this, like, Caucasian, like, white male democracy, which just wasn't really seen before. It scared the living shit out of the Whigs and the other you know, people who were in power at the time. Um, Jackson is responsible for the Trail of Tears, uh, which is like 60,000 Native Americans were moved west of the Mississippi under the very on-the-nose name, the Indian Removal Act, which is, that is Jackson, the man on the $20 bill. He was the one who, uh, you know, coined the Indian Removal Act. And sure enough, one in five would die on that journey. Cool. Maybe we should make a fun, loving musical about this man. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking that we like take it to Broadway and um, you know, and and celebrate him and say and and whenever someone criticizes us about it, we just say, um, uh, it's actually ironic. It's actually like uh, tongue in cheek. Actually, <laughs> populism. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know what? I've been thinking about that ever since we first started. So this is the maybe Andrew Jackson. <laughs> Andrew Jackson really had no shame. And he also marked a moment when capital and the brutality it required to keep the system going became self-conscious. And they liked what they saw. <laughs> Let's uh, go to the turn of the 20th century. Let's talk about Teddy Roosevelt. Brian, do you have anything on Teddy? Oh, yeah. My favorite president, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. You know, he was born into a family that defined 
Manhattan royalty. All right. You might see some of them as you're walking around the island, Munya. (laughs) (laughs) They hilariously, there's two different strands of Roosevelt in New York. That's how far they go back. And Franklin actually married a, just a nut, one of his cousins, just one of the other strands of Roosevelt's. They just came together for that marriage. Okay. Very cool. (laughs) I mean, not too far off from their metropole of England, huh? No, no. Uh, very cool. But yeah, yeah the, the Roosevelt's had lived on the island since the mid-17th century and had served in all manner of political office by the time Teddy came into this world. He lived his life as a desperate tryhard, pretending to be a cattle rancher in the Dakotas while living in Manhattan, writing an awful four-volume history of the West about the manly deeds that he imagined others had done. But he always remained a fancy lad at heart. When he organized his Rough Riders cavalry to fight in Cuba, he had Brooks Brothers custom make a uniform for him of his own design. Hey, you got to respect the drip, bro. I mean, this guy was was popping off, was getting the fits off, doing fit checks when he was invading Cuba. (laughs) He was the first president who was desperately concerned about his fit. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe it worked, because after fighting in Cuba, he used his carefully manicured celebrity to run for president, becoming the first Roosevelt to reach the office, but not the last. (laughs) (laughs) Once in power, he largely allowed himself to be stage managed by those around him. Business owners, when feeling the potential for political blowback against their many, many misdeeds, would simply invite themselves into the White House for a polite one-on-one with the man. Impressed that these men would come to visit him, Teddy would then give them whatever they wanted. <laughs> See, this is why we just can't have nerds in power. I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> but like this, this is the outcome that you have. You either have just like a just extreme, like weird fucking like um, narcissism where you just can't even like you know, you just like are controlling over like everything and can't let go. Or you're dazzled by people wanting to talk to you. And uh, (laughs) one is a little more dangerous than the other. Yeah, it's just like Trump when the handsome generals would come in the room and he would just be pulled over. They're big, folks. You see how big they are? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he left office after two terms, as had become tradition at the time, hoping for the people to plead for him to return. When they did not, he led a vanity campaign against his hand-picked successor, William Howard Taft, uh, our fattest president, therefore making him the coolest president, (laughs) guaranteeing that the presidency would go to that freak from Princeton, Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Teddy remains inexplicably popular to this day despite being one of the dumbest presidents in the country's history. Okay, in All of Sunny, let, let's, on the count of three, like, who, who is he in All of Sunny? Okay, three, two, one. He's Mac. He's Mac. 100%. Yeah, he's Mac, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. That is a lot of content. And just think, right now, on our website... Mechanicalfreak.website forward slash Andy hyphen E hyphen Nick. We have even more content just waiting for you to discover it. And those content stocks are only going to go up from here, baby. In this new century, we are going to be covering such topics as Restricted Covenants, The Evolution of the Passport Office, Operation Dixie, The Bretton Woods Agreement, Go and Pro. The horrifying reality of uranium mining. 
the Hart Rudman Commission, border security contracts, and much, much more. More, more, more. <laughs> so join us every week for Indie the Call my boy Sean. Let's see what he's up to. Hello, hello. Yo, Sean, what's good, bro? How you doing? <laughs> what's going on, comrade? How, how you doing? <laughs> oh, I'm great, man. I'm, I'm chilling. You know, I'm I'm just kind of you know I'm I, I'm at my place right now. I I decided to just say you know like Thanksgiving's kind of a settler colonial holiday so i'm not uh i'm not gonna be participating in that i'm gonna be you know at the club tonight so i'm just kind of preparing for that what about you man what what are uh-huh. you doing all i all i heard was that you tried to bake the turkey and you burnt it and now well, no, i mean you need a bailout that's all that, that, i heard that's, that's good that you heard that because like some some say i learned how to undercook it but that's all right uh, we'll... we won't go there <laughs> well sorry I, ho- I hope that i'm not like uh is this like a busy time for you like is, no or... we're, you're you're good you got me at a good time i'm sitting here um just doing doing a little bit of writing and yeah i'm glad glad that you called break help break up the mo- the monotony of of this day which lasts way too long oh perfect yeah dude like you know i actually do some like editing and coaching on the side if you ever want to you know like uh up the level of your writing a little bit uh you know I, i'm your guy bro do you have you been published <laughs> uh, yeah yeah you know like um i i've been published on um medium.com uh you know it's like it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a new it's a new media platform you know what i'm saying um yeah yeah you know I, i've been uh i've been published on this uh it, it's, it's called a uh, it's called mechanicalfreak.website. It's like this really new like publisher. Too. Um, that sounds that sounds legit. And I, and I usually do it like audio because the thing is like I feel like I feel like words and like you know typing. That's like the white man thing. You know, like we, we're trying to go beyond that. Okay. The, the, the okay. Old white men be like uh-huh. writing stuff down on paper. You know, like the, Andrew right. Jackson did that. The Declaration <laughs> right. of Independence was on paper. That's right. So, you know, I, I'm trying to just elevate your game a little bit and like, you know, just like think outside the box. You know what I mean? Right. Like, how about right, you right. like, you know, become a podcaster instead? You know, like audio is kind of the future, right? Become like a TikToker and all of that. That's what that, that's where that's where the that's where the people are, man. So you just so you just be rapping is what I hear. You're you're like Jay-Z. You go in the studio. Don't even have a pen and a pad. You just you just be spitting. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? Jay-Z arguably not the greatest of all time. I'm not going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) I heard, I actually heard that W E B Du Bois um, wrote his entire book on black reconstruction just in the studio with, uh, no pen and pad. He was just, he was just, he was, he was freestyling just that. He freestyled yeah. black reconstruction. He like just like, wrote out the white worker on a freestyle bit. That's yeah. crazy. Forget about 16 bars with, with, with no break. It was 1600 pages. Not even a drink of water. 
<laughs> so that's what you're doing right now, right? Because like, what are you what are you writing? Are you writing for the Crosscut Opinion section? Well, the the Crosscut Opinion section um, has been. <laughs> I mean, it's it's it, it is no more, right? What? Um, I read I read something. Uh, yeah, actually, just a little while ago, and um, I think it was Erica Barnett's um, blog that explained that. They had a change of management while a lot of the workers are over there trying to get, you know, fair, a fair deal. Um, They have, you know, some execs who are making hundreds of thousands of dollars. A new person came in and actually one of the first things that they did is, as I think executive director um, was cut the opinion section. So rest in peace, cross cut opinion section. I'm writing right now actually for my um, my book, which is about Seattle politics and and sports. Um, Wish I was writing for Crosscut though. It was it was it was sad to see them fold up the way that they did as far as That's the opinion brutal. section. Yeah. I'm sorry, man. I know you're like a regular contributor on there. I hope they keep your articles up even though they're not publishing new ones. Yeah, you have to hope. You have to hope that that wasn't part of the fire sale of um getting rid of left and left of center opinions was that they actually will go through and you know kind of delete some of the older posts. What's the name of that movie? Eternal Sunshine Spotless. Uh, the Spotless Mind. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm and I'm Jim Carrey just trying to um trying to try to make sure my police abolition piece stays up on Crosscut. Sean, Sean, would you say that your life is a movie for real? <laughs> I would I would uh I would sooner end this phone call than say that, but that's that's something you can say out loud. Uh, let's talk about your book for a second. So you're uh, writing a book on Seattle and sports, two of the things that, uh, you know, we love. Um, how much do you hate the people who, like, say <laughs> the thing sports ball? You know, like when people say that in, like, a derogatory way, how much do you just want to, like, completely, like, run over them with a gas-powered car? Well, it depends on the context um, in which they say it. But most of the times when people refer to sports as sports ball, I'm okay with it because – um, people take entertainment way too seriously. So anything we can do to sort of sort of puncture the that mirage that people have that sports is is reality and deserves real emotional investment um, is is good by me. But it's it is it is a terrible phrase to be sure, just to be sure. But I don't I don't I don't hate it. I feel that. I feel that. Well, you know, it, it's it's awesome. Um, this book is uh, getting published by Pluto Press, right? This is a uh, UW Press. Yeah, oh, UW Press, the university. You're going. You're going Ooh. academic with it. Okay, I see yeah, talk, you. Well, you were talk, talking a mile of shit about the white man's game earlier, so I <laughs> figured I had to let you know. Well, I'm glad that you disclosed it because, like, we're, we're just going to be going like full, full Farrakhan on this podcast now. Uh, <laughs> how, how does how does Greg feel about that? <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> Greg Farrakhan with a with a kufi I might see you next time. <laughs> Hell yeah! Um, what, since you've been doing a lot of research though on this book, um, like what are like some like interesting or some of your favorite uh, bits of research that you found for your book? Yeah, I gotta say, um, there there's a few things. I think the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that um, you know there was a really, really prolific arsonist in the city of Seattle in in the middle of the great depression who burnt down a baseball stadium, um, said that the reason why he did it and he set like 150 other fires over the course of like four years, um, was because he was having a hard time getting a job. He said that 
in one of his notes, as soon as um, I can get employed, I will turn back into a good friend to capital. Um, but until then, I'm just going to get these fires off. Um, he burnt a baseball stadium down. He burnt like a few lumber mills down. When he was bored, he would just go to like the train lots and like light boxcars on fire. Um, he, he was he was not a great he was not a great guy. Um, he, you know, he set these fires, which could have killed people. But I just found it really, really fascinating to read about this guy's story. Apparently he, he lived in a Hooverville at one point and he hated, um, to use the phrase you used earlier, that some of the residents of the Hooverville, the homeless encampment liked baseball, sports ball that is. So he decided he was going to go just really torch the, the wooden baseball stadium down, um, I don't know where I'm going with this exactly. It's Thanksgiving and I'm, I'm talking to you about arson, but you asked me what I was working on and, and there you have it. I mean, it sounds like we had our own Joker in Seattle <laughs> is what you're telling me. I think we got several Jokers in Seattle. Not going to mention any names, but um, <laughs> yeah, this, this, maybe this was one of the original ones for sure. Yeah, this is the OG Joker origin story. That is, that is pretty nuts, though. Um, yeah. Just like, you know, burning it for the sake of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jokerification is truly nothing new. <laughs> I think another thing that I just want to know, too, is I've been thinking about Seattle sports. I've been thinking about how Russ was just handing the ball off um, all day yesterday and, like, mm. probably shouldn't have played him. But I also, you know, recall... A little bake-off that happened with Russell Wilson and Jeff Bezos cooking pancakes together. So I would want to ask you, would you rather cook pancakes (laughs) in a room and you have to interact with both of them equally? You have to all work as a team and cook pancakes with Russell Wilson and Jeff Bezos Uh or have Donald Sterling as your landlord? (laughs) <laughs> wow so first things first i'm not sure i'm not sure what evidence do we have that donald sterling isn't my landlord is the first thing i would i would ask about that and if we're making what was the meal you wanted it was pancakes pancakes if we're making these and we're i'm assuming that because this picture i remember seeing this picture very vividly of russ and jeff bezos they were at jeff bezos's house right yeah, I, th- I think so. Okay, think so, 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 yeah. so I'm burning that house down. I mean, I, I'm in control of the fire. I'm in the kitchen. I got, I'm got. i making stuff. I'm going to send them to the other room, and I am absolutely burning the house down with these so, 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 But this is, the, the, this is, I mean, to take it back to the Joker, this is a um, situation that the Joker would put you in because he'd be like, uh-huh. no, you have a choice. Right. You can either cook a clean pancake with Jeff Bezos <laughs> and have Russell Wilson survive uh-huh. or kill Jeff Bezos and the star quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, I'm not it's talking your about choice, John Scott. I'm, I'm not talking about killing anybody because I, I don't want to run for office one day and have this <laughs> podcast come back up on a mailer or something. They're not going to, all right. They're not, they're not going to NTK me. I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying if I'm at the crib, if I'm at Jeff Bezos's place and I'm in control of cooking things, that might be the day where shit doesn't go right. I'll just leave it at that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Good answer. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Um, well, Sean, uh, I know that 
all of your family is listening to this on speakerphone at the <laughs> Thanksgiving room table right now. And um, just want to say hi to all of them. Uh, thank you so much for taking this call in the middle of serving your mashed potatoes. Um, do you have any fun facts on before we leave, like before we head out? Uh-huh. Within your research, is there any correlation or interesting intersection between sports and um between sports and thanksgiving at all like Mm. is there like some like either history of it or you know maybe like more contemporary like is there any crossover there or is it just charlie brown like getting the football pulled from him (laughs) i gotta go i'm not answering this question at all i have no no interest in talking about this with you i'll catch you brother good to see you Thanks for sticking with us on your holiday. Next up on our evening of prestige podcasting is a little on-the-ground shoe-leather human interest reporting from our own Brian Platt. Please enjoy. Come in. Oh, hi. It's, uh, it's me, Brian. Why have you come here? Well, Thanksgiving is a time for giving thanks, but it's also a time so for So you refl- want me to tell you the story of my life? Well, like I was saying, uh, that, that's what I do. I, I interview people. Uh, I'm a collector of lives, uh, a podcaster. Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. You would have to have a lot of cloud storage for my story. Well, I mean, that's no problem. I still have a gig free and drive. You followed me here, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I, I suppose I did. I mean, you seem very interesting, uh... Is this where you live? No, just a room. Well, uh, we should get started. Where do you want me to start? How about at the beginning? I was in high school. I lived with my mom and her new husband in eastern Washington. He was very young, barely a man, some sort of athlete. Oh, cool. What sport? I don't know. Some unspecified frivolous thing that for some reason involved a lot of travel. I didn't care much for athletics. A little too clumsy, you see. For sure. So I decided to give my mom and her new husband some space by moving in with my father west of the mountains in western Washington. It was not ideal. He lived in a small town on the peninsula. He was a bit of an authority figure in the town. Someone people looked up to, so naturally, the people there were curious about me. An outsider, an interloper. Sure, I mean, moving can be tough. Yes, and I did not relish the attention. I preferred to just blend into the crowd. But you see, when you are new, you are desirable. Do you know what it is like to be desired? Sure, I mean, there was this one time To not just be wanted, but to be needed, to be craved. It is a magnificent feeling, I can assure you, but it's not enough to be desired, but to desire, to yearn, to feel your blood pumping, your heart racing, the primal coming out in a volcanic explosion of feeling simultaneously real and sublime, forcing you to exist in a moment of both being and becoming, to be alive, to be alive, when everyone around you is just drifting, 
aimlessly through life. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, I think my computer might have frozen up. Uh, do you think you could just take that again? <sighs> so, I saw this boy and I was immediately captivated. It was as if he could hypnotize me with a glance. We were paired as two become one for labs and biology class. But he, he would not give in to this thing between us, this animal magnetism. He ignored me, but it only made me want him all the more. I even overheard him plead with the headmaster to transfer out of our class, as if hard to get was not the oldest, most delectable courtship ritual in the book. Oh yeah, uh, totally. I eventually broke through his defenses, allowing him to rescue his damsel in distress during a fateful day in the school parking lot. But I was not a mere helpless damsel. Before long, I had found my way into his life, meeting his family, having them perform feats of strength for me in the woods. Each took turns trying to impress me when a group of boys who were also into me, showed up. The family leapt to my protection. You see, we were engaged in an intricate dance of seduction, and now the tables had turned. It appeared that now I was on top. Word? Yes, or so I thought. My senior year, we grew closer. Our lives, like the intertwined legs of star-crossed lovers, became indistinguishable from one another. Impossible to tell where one began and the other ended. Then fate would intervene. As irresistible as I was to my new suitor, I could not help but attract attention from other boys. His brother, unable to contain his attraction to me, began to act out. Oh no, man. That shit's crazy. Yes, and the jealousy between the two brothers threatened to split the family apart. So my paramour once again decided to retreat into himself. He disappeared. Emotionally? And physically. He was physically gone. I did not know where he had gone. It was a difficult time for me. I would just stare out my window and watch the seasons change. My father even considered sending me back to live with my mother. But I found myself bound to this small lumber town, unable to leave. I found things to occupy my time. I got into motorcycles, cliff diving, younger boys. I started hanging out with this boy from the reservation. He was also really into me. I made him repair a couple of dirt bikes that I found. I just needed something to make me feel alive again. Hey, yeah, I mean, breakups can be tough. Ah, but we were still bound together, you see. I could sense him, and he could sense my pain. After a particularly dangerous cliff-diving accident, he feared that the worst had happened, that I might have crossed over, leaving him in this world alone forever. Knowing that something was wrong, I petitioned his family for an audience. His sister informed me that he had traveled to Italy to take his own life, He did not want to live without me. Oh, hold on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It it actually looks like I'm coming up against the memory for my free plan and the Patreon. It just hasn't been doing so hot. So I don't really want to upgrade to paid data storage. Um, Do you think you can maybe wrap this up? Fine. I went to Italy, stopped my boyfriend from killing himself, and met my eccentric new best friend, Michael Sheen. There was like six more hours of stuff that happened, but it's really not that important. Oh, well, great. Awesome. Uh, Thanks for the interview. Well, thank you, Brian, for bringing us that very interesting interview with a thousand-year-old Nosferatu.
1-800-FREAKSTAR. This is Lucy, Lucy Apple Juicy. Happy Thanksgiving. How can I help you? Hey, Lucy, if that is your real name. I really need your help. <laughs> I just pulled up to dinner at my great aunt Susie's new place and realized she lives in D3. I just realized that. And as you know, even though, you know, I've just met you on this call, on December 7th, <laughs> District 3, uh, we'll vote to, de- to determine whether to recall Council Member Shama Sawant. I'm very concerned being a good citizen. As soon as I pulled up, I realized she had an in this house, we believe sign, you know, Ooh. juicy. It's worse than I thought. Help. How do I flip Aunt Susie to ensure she votes against this right-wing recall? Oh, God. Aunt Susie lives in D3. This is bad. Bad, bad, bad. Susie's a Virgo, sweetie. Virgos, they're known for being perfectionists and seeking purity. The Virgo can get turned off by just about anything. They are, above all else looking for a politician that has their act together and always acts with proper decorum in public. Virgos live in the realm of the mind, not feelings. That doesn't mean they aren't aware of real suffering that they may experience or see, but any pain they feel, it gets filtered through the lens of rationality. The virginity of Virgo ties to the sign's dedication to purity and service. As much as Miss Susie might try to say she's progressive with her BLM sign, she's definitely taken aback by Shama's organizing tactics. However, wait, wait a just a second. I think I'm seeing something. Although it's very true that Virgos are very particular, that doesn't necessarily mean that they keep neat spaces. Uh, their particulars and habits, they don't really line up with traditional cleanliness. Um, they could live in what looks like a Tasmanian devil-style dust storm, but still impose a no-shoes-in-this-house rule. She has a tendency to leave no detail unnoticed and nitpick at every flaw that she can find in others, but that doesn't really mean that she's going to hold herself to that, darling. Well... I mean, my great aunt Susie is a hoarder, but I have no idea still what I'm supposed to do. (sighs) Oh, my God. Freak thought, my dear. You have zero chance of convincing her to vote against the recall, but her ballot is in a stack of three weeks of junk mail by the entryway. As soon as you walk in, steal her ballot, sweetie. Matt, it's uh, it's Brian. I, I, I'm here. I got my uh, free. We got the freaks here on the line. Hey, uh, Matt. What? Hey. Hey. Thanksgiving. Oh, God. <laughs> I think our turkey's on fire again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Um, we were just calling because we wanted to give thanks, as we do every year, and uh, we do that by calling up our friends and seeing how they're doing. How you doing, Matt? You know, not bad. Not bad. I hear like the bad guys might be winning, but. That's all right. (laughs) Uh, You couldn't be more right, my friend. Uh, I see you've read the same piece in the nation by Anne Crapplebaum. (laughs) 
Indeed. Yes. <laughs> but, but like, the bad guys are winning because Anne still has a job. Like that's, that's you know by definition the bad guys have just won another one. She got paid for another article. <laughs> so this uh, last week of the nation, this amazing article from uh, America's favorite cold warrior and Applebaum came out. And Matt, since you know. You're a bit of a, a China head. I mean, a little less now that they've banned Bitcoin. You're not quite as into it anymore, I hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're divesting from China, moving to Austin. <laughs> I hear in Nicaragua that there's a beach that I can go on and, and use Bitcoin to pay for everything. So there you go. that's my next move. <laughs> hey, look, uh, Nicaragua's making sure the good guys win. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Anne, she's asking this question. She's like, hey, everybody, uh, Russia... Venezuela, China, these are all autocracies, uh, governments, uh, the likes of which nobody's ever seen before. Um, how have these modern autocrats achieved such impunity? In part- I mean, <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead, please. Well, they're all, they're, they're all the same too, right? I mean, all these countries yeah. are exactly the same. <laughs> So. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, Matt. Quick, you're you're like I said, you're a real China head. Uh, what are five ways Venezuela and China are exactly alike? Roads, trains, <laughs> schools, hospitals, Wait. more roads. <laughs> well, look, Matt. I mean, sure, you're a China expert and an academic, but you know, just failed. because <laughs> <laughs> just because you like know a lot of the details and history about one place doesn't mean you don't know they aren't the same in every other place. True. (laughs) (laughs) Got him. Got him. Damn. Good thing there's a lawyer in your family. (laughs) Matt. And she argues that, you know, this happens, you know, in part by persuading so many other people in so many other countries to play along. Are you one of those people, Matt? Are you playing along, empowering the autocrats? Never. I believe in freedom <laughs> and that we spread democracy. <laughs> That's why after I spent one summer in the Soviet Union, I decided to make my entire career talking about how the Soviet Union is bad and communism is bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the part that I thought might uh, appeal to you. Uh Naturally, you know, Anne, uh, she's always concerned with the Eastern menace in Russia, but she did get a little bit of China in here. I just wanted to get your kind of thoughts on this. Uh, So she says a part of the American left. uh, This is you, Matt. Pay attention. A part of the American left has abandoned the idea that democracy belongs at the heart of U.S. foreign policy, not out of greed and cynicism, but out of a loss of faith in democracy at home. I'd like to say I did it out of greed and cynicism, but (laughs) convinced that the history of America is the history of genocide, slavery, exploitation, and not much else. They don't see the value of making common cause. (laughs) I mean, I I don't disagree. I don't like what shit. (laughs) Yeah, Moon, yeah, I think Ann Applebaum's been listening to our show. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we've been expanding our reach. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Should have her on. Exactly. <laughs> Next week on Ending the Myth. <laughs> well, we focus too much on America's own bitter problems. 
these people no longer believe America has anything to offer the rest of the world. (laughs) Although the Hong Kong pro-democracy protesters waving American flags believe many of the same things we believe, their requests for American support in 2019 did not elicit a significant wave of youthful activism in the U.S., not even something comparable to the anti-apartheid movement of the 1980s. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) okay so like all joking aside like two things about that like the obvious like yeah like obviously the left has rightfully lost faith that america as they should never have had it and probably they haven't lost it enough second that thing about the hong kong protesters i think is just one of these like just like actively wrong it's it somehow portrays this as if like there is a a very organized movement of Hong Kong protesters that are all together, like requesting U.S. foreign intervention, which is just not the case. I mean, yeah, there are people waving flags and like the geography of the protests is quite complicated. But this this idea that even like even if you are sympathetic to the Hong Kong protests, the idea that they are like um, calling for American intervention is just, you know, a quite a quite a statement to be published in the nation. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, they didn't carry around signs. It just said, send in the Marines. <laughs> they said, we want what the Philippines got in 1899. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my people yearn for freedom. <laughs> yeah. She also seems to be very like concerned with the youth of America, like not thinking like the Hong Kong protesters are hip enough to get behind. You know, like it's a very like kids these days Mm -hmm. argument she's making. Like, yes, I know. And like wants to like see America be like, you know, dominant on the world stage or whatever it is and have like credibility to confront whatever, all that kind of bullshit. But she's also really here complaining about like, well, uh, the, the young kids don't care about the things I care about. (laughs) They're too busy doing TikTok dances. (laughs) <laughs> not enough not enough time joining the cia and learning mandarin <laughs> yeah, exactly. why not both <laughs> y'all y'all going to astro world fest but y'all not festing on the global menace of china <laughs> really makes you think and you know, Wait, was Travis Scott feeding the souls to Xi Jinping? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. 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 Well, you know, when they threw those big parties in Wuhan, I didn't hear about anybody getting crushed at those. So, I mean, just <laughs> chalk another one up for China. Another well, dub for, here for of censorship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> well, Anne would like to leave us with... Uh, you know, just one more little thought here that I think that we need to take away. Um, she says, incorrectly identifying the promotion of democracy around the world with, in quotes, forever wars, leftists fail to understand the brutality of the zero-sum competition now unfolding in front of us. Nature abhors a vacuum, and so does geopolitics. If America removes the promotion of democracy from its foreign policy, if America ceases to interest itself in the fate of other democracies and democratic movements, then autocracies will quickly take our place as sources of influence, funding, and ideas. (laughs) Matt, what say you? I mean, like, seems fine if, like, the past 150 
plus years of U.S. foreign policy is democracy. So bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, when the U.S. like invaded China with 20 other countries in 1900, uh, they did a lot of democracy promotion. Yeah, totally. Like you could sell opium like way more easily. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know what? Something's never changed. (laughs) (laughs) As I say, uh, look, there's more than inflation affecting the price of heroin right now. Let's get back in Afghanistan, Uncle Joe. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Sleepy Joe, my shit my prices Sleepy are going Joe, up. Have you taken economics 101? <laughs> Sleepy Joe doesn't know what it's like on the streets out here. Yeah. You know, the West invaded China to end the Qing Dynasty's war on drugs, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, very progressive. (laughs) Well, Matt, uh, do you have any uh, thoughts on what we as Americans can do to prepare ourselves for the uh, thousand year rule of Xi Jinping that is uh, that we're on the doorstep of right now? Um, Learn Chinese. I don't know. <laughs> Solid advice. Uh, All right. Well, I, I mean, I've got a question. Like, you know, uh, you're, you know, you're our China hand, as as they say. Oh um, <laughs> <laughs> what's the party thinking? Like, does Xi and you know the rest of the Chinese elite like lust for a new Cold War as much as American America's elite does? Are they like? ready and raring to like kick this thing off like like everyone at the top of power in america seems to be i mean no (laughs) like (laughs) i mean one would be lying if like one didn't say that china didn't have like geopolitical ambitions but what country doesn't so yeah they certainly don't want a competitive cold war with china so and i don't know if the u.s actually wants that either there was so like there's been a uh, cobalt mining and the DRC has been getting a lot of press recently. And it's also on my mind because I'm teaching 10th graders about it right now. But um, like there's been a ton of news stories coming out talking about China and cobalt mining. But it's all just because like, well, China has been like Chinese mining companies have been like been buying mines that were owned by U.S. and Canadian and Swiss mining companies as of like three years ago. But now mm-hmm. it's like the crisis in the in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo over cobalt mining. So, did, you know. Matt, do you do you see, I mean, like as a serious question, do you see like, you know, like China um, just like in Africa in general, like I think some argue that like China, because they are uh, communist and they're not an imperial force necessarily, that like, you know, their um, presence in Africa is categorically different and actually is kind of almost considered like like protection almost in a way like um uh, i think like people have like framed this as like there's like it's almost like the opposite of imperialism if china is there like what do you what do you think about that um i think saying it's the opposite of imperialism goes much too far but i also think it's one of these things that like it's not categorically anything it's a it's something that like needs to be studied in terms of like what the investments are like what they're actually doing and i think a lot of that research is like gets completely lost because of the discourse that people like Ann applebaum are spreading that like it makes it almost like impossible to make reasoned judgments but there are people who are like doing that work that i don't know enough about to like speak too much on it but like yeah i'd say like definitely not categorically not imperialism but certainly like not the same thing as what you know 
the U.S. and European countries have been doing for a very, right. very long time. So. Do you do you think that like China, like in its current state right now, is interested in like a global communist project in general? Um, like, or is it still a a national project that they don't have any ambition span, uh, spending outside of China? Oh boy, that's a. I mean, I I think what we mean by like a communist project, I think even within China, what they mean by a communist project is like somewhat unclear sometimes, although it's still like, there's still like the goals of advancing to a socialist society by 2050 or like a prosperous socialist society is like the next step. They already are a socialist society. Um, but the, yeah, you know, it's like, I think you have to look at like the class dynamics within China and like there are, there is like a capitalist class that is looking to invest overseas. I think there are also um, people within the party who are looking to do slightly different things overseas. Um, I think they're certainly not trying to spread the Chinese mode of governance abroad though. I think that is certain. And I think that is like what the U S has been doing at the tip of a sword for a long time. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any aspirations to, for for China to do anything than to advance its material interests um, in its overseas adventures, but not in a we want to change the mode of governance nearly to the same extent as as traditional Euro-American mm -hmm. imperialism. What do you think the position of the wolf warriors overseas is? <laughs> oh, boy, it always comes back to this. <laughs> 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 I mean, realistically, like the Wolf Warrior 2 movie is like an interesting look at China ambitions in Africa because it takes place in an unnamed African country. And there is a scene where like uh, a like Chinese owned factory is besieged by rebels and there's like a, a mixed race Chinese white Chinese American woman who is like ask. Yeah, she asks a question about like when the Marines are going to show up and, and the Chinese Wolf Warrior is like the Marines have already left. It's only China now, which is kind of interesting. But... <laughs> so. uh, how many bags of popcorn do you give Wolf Warrior to? Uh, four out of four. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. We didn't know we were going to get so much movie content this, uh, tonight. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, we'll let you go. I know that you have to, uh, go back to your CIA stronghold uh, and, and check that Turkey. So. Indeed. <laughs> right. Bye, Matt. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Matt. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Bye. Spending your Thanksgiving with us, everyone. We've got one last feature for you. It's that time of the night for a little bit of live storytelling. Because you don't listen to public radio anymore, so where else are you going to hear it? Let's give a little round of applause for our own Munyachiro, who has for us a harrowing tale of poverty tourism. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to tell you a story about something that just happened a week ago. It was 7 a.m., a sunny Monday morning. The sun drenched through my west-facing windows. Sirens 
meaningless arguments pass through in earshot. God, I love living in New York. <laughs> I can't wait to just use the morning, take a yellow cab all the way down to around JFK Airport for a doctor's appointment that I'm trying to get because I am trying to get my Adderall prescription in New York. <laughs> Adderall famously is a schedule one drug, so you cannot <laughs> take that prescription across state lines. <laughs> so you got to actually find a different doctor in the state that you're in to write a separate prescription to maybe evaluate your psychology to verify that you have mental health. <laughs> well, my mental health might have been tested this day. <laughs> my phone buzzes as I'm about to walk out the door. It's from one of those numbers that only have six digits in them. You know it's either going to be someone trying to hack into your Twitter account. <laughs> a spam notification from... A guy in Nigeria who simply found a really good deal and you just need to wire him a thousand dollars or a free Amazon giveaway. Turns out to be none of those things. It was a cancellation text. The doctor has indeed canceled on me. Now, I wasn't really psyched to get this doctor anyway, but everyone else was booked out for three months. Three months, I said, my gosh, I need. I only have six pills left and I need like three months to book out. This is insane. I call back the New York Public Health hotline and I ask, what are my options? Like, I, I actually need a prescription really, really soon. Well, since there's no doctors and my other one canceled on me, my operator had a different idea. What if I went to the ER? The ER could very well write me a 30-day emergency prescription. We could have my documents. And they're always available because it's an emergency. <laughs> great, I said. That's a great idea. <laughs> so I hop up. Day is still young. And I just walk out. And you know what? It's great and convenient for me because I have a hospital 10 minutes away walking from where I live. Now, let me just preface some context. I'm from Seattle. Whenever I go into a hospital in Seattle, I know that it's going to be a great experience. <laughs> <laughs> and now some people might laugh at that, but it's true. When you go into the hospital, you know that you can actually probably get help. If not, they'll probably treat you like a human. The quality of hospitals, I don't even think about where it is in the city. Because I could just assume that it's pretty good. Um, the median income in where I live is under $40,000. The hospital's on Marcus Gallery Boulevard. So, of course, it's like, okay, cool. It's like, you know, my people is close by. Let's just do this. I walk in to Woodhull Hospital. <laughs> and the first thing I see are two NYPD police officers greeting me. No, they're not here to responding to anything. 
it's their job to be here and greet the people who come in. They tell me to sign in and check in. I oblige. New York's a crazy place, I think to myself. That's just how they do things over here. I check in and I tell him very directly that I need a three-day Adderall prescription. He said, okay, sir, what's your insurance? Let me see your ID. I pull out my Washington ID. Take it all down. I'm like, cool. Then I turn around and see the waiting room. There's at least 50 people there in this waiting room. Now, we're all getting managed to a degree, but it seems like people have been there for a little bit. The guy's passed out asleep. Uh, there's a family of four just kind of sitting there waiting. I'm like, is this the emergency room? Or I don't know. A lady in scrubs comes out and calls someone's name. Finally, he says, and storms over to the nurse's office. This is just to get our blood pressure and to just get that little band around your wrist that says that you're in the ER. It turns out this one lady is the only nurse in this whole ER building. And some people have been waiting there for hours. But that can't be me, right? Because this is just for a prescription. <laughs> one hour goes by. I'm still waiting there. Two hours go by. It's enough to finish a whole episode of Big Soy Naturals. <laughs> Third hour goes by. Now, I'm kind of sweating because my work is actually starting. I thought that I would be in and out. But, hey, it's worth the wait, right? I mean, what else am I going to do? So at this point, I'm thinking that this is kind of weird. There's this exasperated white lady in a North Face next to me being like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, yeah, I feel you. You know, like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. And she sat there for 30 minutes and then stormed off. I'm on hour 3.5. I finally walk into the nurse's office and say, hey, where am I in the queue? You're fourth in line. You're fourth in line. Don't worry about it. You're fourth in line. Okay, perfect. Now, I walk back and there's this guy. There's this guy who's just like always kind of like making jokes, clowning on people. He's one of the employees and he's just happy to be there. He's sitting next to this like this cop and they're just always like talking to each other. Um, they're the ones kind of like managing the show. So I just kind of like sit and talk. He takes a look at my jacket and he says, man, nice jacket. Where, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that jacket? <laughs> say it's ape. It's like, you know, it's a cool brand. He's like, yo, how much you pay for that, man? Like, that looks like a nice jacket. I'm like, man, I, <laughs> you know, it's, I kind of forget. I kind of forget. So he was like, hey, bro, didn't you have a backpack? Didn't you have a bag? I pat my shoulders and I'm like, yo, I, Actually, yeah. Holy crap, I did. No, I like I left it in the nurse's office when I went in there the first time. So I walked back in there. My bag isn't there. I said, oh, no. Okay. Um, let me look elsewhere. I look elsewhere. I see some people like leaving the hospital in like in, in handcuffs. I see uh, a lot of other poor people kind of get just getting managed. The room, the atmosphere, the vibes, it was just very decrepit, decadent, just like a very cursed, declined-ass environment. But I'm like, hey, it's an emergency room, of course, right? Like, what what do I expect? Flowers and roses? <laughs> but I can't find my backpack anywhere. I went walk back into the place. The nurse is just like, oh, my God, this guy again, man. Like, I mean, like, 
what is she going to do? She's managing like 60 people right now. And it's only one nurse here. And she's like, sir, like, I, I don't know. It's not here. Right. But the patient she's serving, she then looks at his lap and there's a flannel on his lap. Right. Mm-hmm. This guy suddenly grips the flannel and she's like, sir, what's in the flannel? This guy slowly unravels the flannel and reveals that my bag was wrapped up <laughs> oh in that God. flannel the whole time. <laughs> nice. She says, get out of here. He like kicks him out like midway through the blood pressure, like rips out the blood pressure. Says like, get out of here. I was like, no, you know, like I, I didn't want to like, you know, kick him out of getting his <laughs> blood pressure. And I was just wanting my bag back. Now the dude who, who initially said it, the dude who was clowning, he starts dying. He's like, yo like this is insane he was like in all my years of being in new york i've never seen anything like that and i grew up in the hood and i've never seen anything like that that shit's nuts that shit's next level man he could not stop talking about it and i was like man just my luck that you know i you see some crazy shit like this i guess but i got my bag finally finally my name is called and i get to take a seat i'm like this is where the nurse is going to write me the prescription right like I just get to have a face to face with the nurse. She's gonna like pull my pull my information, and I'm gonna be done. The story's gonna be over. Well, she takes my blood pressure. I tell her directly, "Hey, I need a prescription for Adderall. Thirty days. I have ADHD, and um, you know, we can pull. It's an emergency. I can't get a prescription elsewhere. Um, you know, we need to just do this. And how can we do this? She's like, "Oh yeah, sir. I can't write that, but like, you know, I I definitely can like direct you to." where you need to go for sure. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Takes my weight, takes my blood pressure and then takes me off uh, into this room. She just says, wait, I'm calling an escort to like escort you to like, you know, a room. Um, there, another 30 minutes goes by. There's no one to be found. And I'm like, where is this just like a rat maze? Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to like have, I don't know if there's like proof that there's another person working in this building other than you, <laughs> you know, at this point. <laughs> so I finally have to just like kind of come back again to her. And I'm like, is there like someone who's going to take me? And she's like, looks around. She's like, all right, I'll, I'll just take you, whatever. So she takes me to this back room. This is kind of where like the trauma center is. There's people who are obviously suffering from mental health in this place. Um, and, so this guy is waiting for me in there. And this is where the story gets a little weird. <laughs> this guy inside the hospital where this nurse lady just directs me to says, okay, this is where you need to go. Now, remember these whole times I've directly said, I need a prescription for Adderall because I have ADHD and I am now living in New York. The first thing this man says to me is he gestures to this six foot tall paper bag. And when I say six foot tall, I mean six foot tall. He unravels it. It's huge. And I'm like, okay, what is this? He slaps a barcode on it and says, take off your jacket, take off your jewelry, put your phone, wallet, keys all in this bag. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I mean, sure. So... Uh, do I get to talk to you about this prescription? He kind of looks at me and suppresses a laugh. He says, take a seat. Now, this is not the seat that you're thinking of. This is a seat in a wheelchair. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 
Now, I know you have to kind of go through some weird stuff when you go to the hospital, especially when you go to the ER. Taking off all of my valuable possessions, putting them in a bag, and having to sit in the wheelchair was a little weird. <laughs> I kindly obliged because honestly, I just needed this fucking prescription and I needed to go home. So he starts wheeling me and wheeling me away from everyone else and takes me to this elevator. He hits the top floor button on the hospital. We're going up five floors, six floors, seven floors. Finally, we hit the top floor. And I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to like, you know, the psychiatric (laughs) care place, right? Like the person who can like actually prescribe me meds. This is great. And I'm getting the full white glove treatment in a way because I don't even have to walk to get there. (laughs) She goes to this room. And this room, this door did not really have windows. So it's like, all right, whatever. But I get inside and the interior doesn't have windows either. When she closes the door, I'm greeted with a metal detector. I'm like, well, thank God. I mean, I took off all of my jewelry and all of my phones already. This is, I'm going to pass this test pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I sit down, and now I'm explaining to another person what I need. This person looks at me, and they're like, you probably don't do that here. Now I'm thinking, wait, what a, wait a minute. Like, I, this is all I've been asking this entire time. I've been, this is now like four hours. Like, what do you mean you don't do this here? He's like, just like, hold on, hold on. Let's just like, let's see. Meanwhile, in earshot and in my sight, in the room next to me, in the open lobby, there's this girl. She's saying, I have work. I have work right now. I need to leave. Please let me go. I need to leave. She's in full scrubs and she has yellow socks on. And she's talking to the social worker, just like pleading for her to leave. And I'm like, girl, just leave. Like, what what are you talking about? But the social worker or doctor or whoever this lady was looks at her and says, you're not leaving. (laughs) You're spending the night here. (laughs) now she's like super upset and she's like what you mean i'm spending the night here like i need to i need to go like i have a i have a job to get to like what are you talking about she's like no ma'am you are not leaving you are spending the night here right in that moment the other social worker looks at me and says sir put these on and it's the exact same outfit that girl has on (laughs) (laughs) now my alarm bells are ringing (laughs) not only did i walk through a metal detector (laughs) but now i'm putting on the same outfit where a person is getting held captive against her will not able to leave and evidently nothing that she could really do about it (laughs) now I say, dude, I don't know about all of that, man. Like, I'm like kind of resisting this request because this just seems crazy. I just need a prescription written. But he insisted. He was like, no, no, you need to. You need to put these on. Sorry. This is the, these are the rules. Like, no matter how absurd you think that might sound, you need to follow the rules just like everyone else here. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I'm here. All right. So I take off more of my clothes, put it in the absurdly large six-foot paper bag. Now my pants, my shirt, 
my shoes, everything is in this paper bag. And now I'm the one in blue scrubs and yellow socks. And now I'm just thinking like, wow, I'm looking around. I see a TV covered by scratched up plastic. It's totally like fortified. These white ambient lights with white walls, kind of like these, like they're not even like tasteful white walls. They're just like these like ugly, (laughs) an ugly beige, like renter's delight, you know, Um, but with like a blue tint to them. So they're not even like nice Um, seats that look like rubber, but are like, it's kind of like hard rubber. And this TV just had on the worst soap opera ever. Um, This is on like a local, like channel seven or something. And so I'm like now sitting next to that person who was like told not to leave. And another person who I believe English was her second language. Um, and I think Chinese was her first. She was a little older than me and uh, she looked really confused and scared as well. She was saying things to me like, I don't know why I'm here. Um, I can't get a hold of my husband. I hope he knows that I'm okay. But I'm just confused because I walked in here just asking for help. And now I'm here, which sounded eerily familiar to my <laughs> story, too, at this point. And so as I was changing, I was like now like looking at the webcams. The webcams were all heavy fish eyes in these small little rooms with zero with little to no windows you could see the person for scale. The person looked like they took up like maybe like a third of that space. And they were just like monitor. There were so many different cameras monitoring. And I'm like, oh man, I, I don't know what's behind those case. But I mean, like for a prescription, this is kind of crazy. So now like it's just us all three all sitting there watching this stupid, stupid uh, soap opera. And like, I'm just like, fuck. I'm looking at the phone and it's evening now. I'm missing my meetings like at work. I'm basically like that girl. I'm like, I'm like, yo, like I have work right now. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, am I going to be spending the night here too? Like, I don't have my phone. My phone actually died, by the way. So even if I did, it wouldn't be any help. I don't have pockets. Um, they could just snatch my chains if they wanted to, um, you know, civil for- forfeiture style. Uh, my wallet's in there. I, I, don't, I don't know how I ended up here. Now, these doctors will just kind of pass you by not really talk to you, not really look at you, come in and out, in and out. Our heads will all perk up. Then they pass us by and we're just like, ugh. And then tw- like maybe 15 minutes later, another doctor will come by. You're like, ugh. Uh. <laughs> so then we just wait and we're just sitting there. And like for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, I'm just like, when is it going to be my turn? Do they even care? Sometimes they'll come up to you and acknowledge you. They'll be like, oh, your name is Munya? Okay. Why you're here, tell the same story again. Okay, cool. <sighs> finally, finally, someone comes up to me and is like, hey, so you're moving your right and you're looking for an Adderall prescription? I'm like, yes. I'm like being down at this point. I didn't really have that much breakfast, so I'm like getting hungry. She looks at me and says, dead in my eyes, oh, no, we don't do that here. We don't write Adderall prescriptions here. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I said, okay. But then she looks at me and she's like, but we should probably do a psyche valve on you. Oh, no. <laughs> now, it's important to remember that I'm in a psych ward right now. 
when you're checked into a psych ward and they do a psych eval on you, they can, if they diagnose you with anything, which is to their judgment, if they diagnose you with anything that they deem is a threat to other people or society, they have the right, especially as an adult, to indefinitely institutionalize you. And you will for sacrifice all rights and until they deem that it's okay for you to leave. Um, this is a way that uh, people with, you know, disorders like bipolar, um, even like eating disorders, uh, it's a way that the system can institutionalize you. And just as a side note, this is why the Kardashians are so fucking evil, because they <laughs> hold that over Kanye. And like, that, no, and it's true. Oh, oh. It's true. You know, like mm -hmm. um, when you call the cops on someone who has bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. which, you know, thankfully I don't. But who's to say that they don't just diagnose me, just like give me the book, right? If they're systematically already checking me into a psych ward when I'm asking for a prescription, like, you know, them pushing for a psych evaluation in there. Um, I don't know what other outcome they're looking for with that. I politely decline. But, you know, I'm like kind of now like really kind of aware of what's happening and now I'm kind of in survival mode and I'm like, yo man, no, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like I, I, if you guys can't like write this prescription, then so be it. So she leaves, makes me wait another 10 minutes, comes back and comes back with this sheet of paper. <laughs> she hands me this sheet of paper and I'm like, Oh, well maybe it's somewhere else in the hospital. This sheet of paper is a printed out resource paper that you can find on the New York website. <laughs> that shows generic outpatient health facilities that are able to write that prescription. One of the outpatient facilities was one directly next door at Woodhull Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> they hand me that piece of paper and they say, okay, go back to like where your uh, metal detector was. Uh, go through that one more time. Just change into your regular clothes and we'll get an escort to escort you out. So I'm like, fuck, thank God. Just like, get me the hell out of here. You know, um, I say goodbye to my new friend who I made right, <laughs> right before I'm about to leave. I see a countdown on the TV. Three, two, one. This is a New York news special report. And I'm like, oh God, shit. Like special report. You're like interrupting the soap opera for this. And then they just saw Joe Biden's face. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so my ass is in the psych ward like scared that i might have be forced to like, sleep over there about to see my freedom and then i see joe's face and he's like listen listen mac i like to thank every one of my senators Kristen semina a fighter joe manchin a strong democrat Everyone who's helped me pass the Build Back Better plan. <laughs> I'd like to thank the Chamber of Commerce. I'd like to thank Organized Labor, UAW. Everyone, he's just like, he's just like shouting out just the whole, the whole gang. This might have been the same day where Kamala had that hilarious um, speech or non-speech that sounded like, uh, like a sixth grader, like bullshitting a current event assignment. <laughs> <laughs> and it just like felt so in this moment, this just felt so surreal and insane to just have like Diamond Joe interrupt the shitty soap opera, which felt like I was just in this surreal nightmare where I'm like, also like, fuck, how do I not like accidentally institutionalize myself for good? Um, 
And that sound is how I left it when I walked over. I took a peek again at the security cameras. And then I realized I was like watching myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, hey, that's that's me right there. This is kind of kind of weird. Um, I'm left with a sheet of paper. This guy escorts me down, basically just boosts my ass out of the hospital. And my whole day is killed. I just kind of stumble my ass home at this point, thinking what the hell just happened? Uh, how the hell did this shit, shit happen? Why did this shit happen? Um but God, this air finally smells good for once <laughs> to be outside. <laughs> and that's how someone who um, has grown up uh, in Seattle learned that when you go to a hospital, street smarts are you check the zip code income before you go to the hospital. <laughs> Let's just oh say my that. God. <laughs> oh my <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone that I asked, they were like, oh, you went to Woodle? <laughs> they're like yo if i break a leg i'm taking a subway up to the upper west side you know <laughs> <laughs> and i just never thought about it that way and i think that it would just be really cool if i just made a pivot and basically became one of those guys at davos with the vr headsets that um virtualize the experience of poverty it was kind of like that for me in real life in a way where I, but I actually had to like experience it fully. And then I could think I could go on a really tone deaf Ted talk being like, I experienced firsthand what it was like to not know what going to the dentist twice a year means. Not know that <laughs> walking into a hospital is not just like walking into any hospital. that There's tears to it. <laughs> I know how this health system screws over poor people because I bafflingly in a completely unforced way <laughs> put myself through all of that and got managed the fuck out of. And that's why Medicare for all will solve all of those problems. system works <laughs> an escape room for pores yeah well thank you for that heartwarming tale of uh <laughs> our great <laughs> medical system how well it works. it's just a very cool medical system that definitely is not there to like just manage poor people i mean like what 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 just strikes me so much about it is like it's like a knee jerk reaction to these problems. Like no matter what I know for a fact, if I did actually go to like, let's say like the upper East side and said those exact same things, I know their first idea would not be, uh, let's check this guy into like this carceral like institution. Yeah. <laughs> like, and like, let's like hold him there for like five hours, you know, like, Ugh. um, that's just not like how they'd move or operate. Like, um, but like, I think like with this, like just, with the inherent like police presence there, the short staff um, and just like the fact that I think they're just used to just managing these people rather than helping people in this place. Like it seemed almost like a, like a shadow, like carceral institution more than like a health institution to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's it's wonderful that in this country, uh, it seems like everybody has some sort of story, maybe not quite like that, but some sort of story of being like charged into like, you know, uh, you know, into massive debt because of some hospital bullshit being fucked over by a hospital that then tries to lie to you about it. You know, (laughs) it's just amazing that we all know it fucking sucks, but we also know, we all know at an even higher level uh, that it'll never change. And in fact, we'll only get worse. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> well, everybody, thanks for joining us for our Thanksgiving spectacular. It's been nice having you all here. And it's been nice talking to my friends and co-hosts. I guess there's only one thing left, and that's to go around in a circle and tell what we're thankful for. Who wants to start? Well, you know, I'd like to say that I'm thankful to Bruce Harrell, Ann Davison, and Sarah Nelson. Because if it weren't for them, I mean, what would we talk about every week on this show? We probably have to make a plan or read a book or something like that. And uh, they get us out of it every week. So thanks, guys. I'm thankful for all of you for doing this podcast uh, with me, (laughs) for being able to do this podcast with you and for not having to put really much uh, forethought or effort into this Thanksgiving spectacular because uh, you all did instead. <laughs> I am absolutely thankful for all of y'all. I'm thankful that y'all got me this pod mic at the start of the year when uh, I knew that maybe like my life would change drastically. And sure enough, I think that podding, I think, uh, kept me sane through all of that. <laughs> and I got to pod through the pain, whether it was... <laughs> potting through uh going under anesthesia and um you know getting my sinus opened up and uh you know going through that potting through a breakup at the start of the year which i think um boosted my podcasting ability significantly (laughs) um Mm -hmm. potting through moving across the country was it awkward for her that you were literally on the podcast while you were breaking up? You're just live reporting it. When I was like live streaming it. Yeah. I don't think she liked that, but I think that it was good content and our fans yeah. liked it. Hey, that's all that matters. And that's what I do it for, you know. I think that it would be funny if um we were like the um like the YouTube uh couples where it's like uh just like a thumbnail of them going like and it's like both of them like in like a room together and, and like the <laughs> the title's just we broke up and it's like 22 minutes long and it's like hey guys uh it's us your favorite couple um 
we've broken up yeah. and it's like tw- it's like 20 minutes of them explaining it like to it like a, a camera oh yeah <laughs> yeah um david dorbrick i think is the yeah like the, the master at that one uh <laughs> i'm thankful yeah. for those couples yeah yeah thankful for like youtube youtube breakup uh youtube influencer breakup videos mm-hmm. um really hilarious um yeah thankful for like you know like riding with me as i've like you know like moved across the country and stuff it's just like been such a fulfilling and just uh fun thing to do so thank you all dear listeners for listening and um Mm -hmm. you know adapting to these like awesome changes i don't know i have a lot to be grateful for but those are definitely uh some of them Mm, i i totally feel you munya and i mean i am definitely thankful for all of y'all, you know, it's, it's been a tough, it's been a tough year, a couple years, a, t- a tough life. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that obviously being grateful for things like the podcast, I'm grateful that I got to go on my road trip with Sully and I was st- mm-hmm. still able to record with y'all from all sorts of different sketchy hotel rooms. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm really thankful for again, you know, we've just been through so much this year and, you know, I'm just so thankful that the celebrities like really turned up and turned out for us with uh, the celebrity uh, endorsed meals at McDonald's mm. and Burger King. You know, that really kept me going through this year and through the podcast specifically. So, you know, I want to thank the Travis Scott meal. Obviously, he's got a lot to be thankful for this year. <laughs> Um, (laughs) the BTS meal, obviously, you know, that, that honey mustard sauce and that sweet chili sauce, just mm, chef's kiss, you know, the, the saweetie meal. Um, and of course, you know, thankful for what we're having tonight here at Thanksgiving, which is the Chase Hudson meal from Burger King, um, AKA (laughs) Lil Huddy, AKA Charlie D'Amelio's on and off again, boyfriend, AKA the hottest (laughs) guy on TikTok, obviously. Uh Um, Uh you know, so just really thankful for that spicy chicken sandwich, four piece mozzarella stick and a chocolate shake. Um, (laughs) so yeah, thanks. Thanks everybody. Yeah. And I'm thankful for. Not just the great guests that came to talk to me and Mooney in our podcast, but those guests that didn't come to talk to us on the podcast. <laughs> Largely after they seemed enthusiastic after initial contact, but asked like, hey, can we hear the podcast or see a website or something? And then I sent it to him and we never heard from him again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. I thought it was top tier work on our part. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That reminds me of another uh, potential guest to be thankful for who uh, in person told me she loved the show (laughs) and was very uh, delighted by the episode we did about an event very uh, important to and involving her. And that she wanted to come on the show. And I'm thankful for all the people around her who are gatekeeping her from us and not reading her (laughs) our emails. To be fair, she thought we were Red Scare. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who needs us when you have Brie Joy, right? (laughs) God. I'm just thankful for the grifters. I'm thankful for um, the people who say that mm, 
black people. <laughs> you don't need to read theory. <laughs> you don't need to listen to old white men like Karl Marx. I think that that's just a really cool take to have in 2021. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm thankful for those who have been brave enough to speak out for, you know, the issues that they, it, you know, it's really hard to speak out about the issues you care about in this climate. Right. I mean, it's so easy to get canceled, to get, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to get the, the Twitter mob, if you will. And so I just, I want to really commend those who spoke out for the issue that really matters, which is bike lanes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I, I would also like to, Shout out and just extend solidarity to all of the 40 plus year old comedians who can just no longer be funny anymore in this (laughs) harsh, toxic PC policed environment where they can't even tell a joke these days. Mm -hmm. You know what? The SJ dubs really did kill comedy. If you think about it. Damn. I'm thankful for the long shots, the quixotic vanity campaigns who ran uh, absolutely out of touch, completely batshit, pointless, impossible campaigns and came in sub 5% in their various races, uh, all while uh, ginning up social media followings. Um, I'm thankful for that because it gave us something to talk about as friends that we weren't going to monetize uh, and mine for content on the podcast. Uh, And I'm thankful for that. It brought intrinsic social bonds together. And that is just so important in this alienating time. So thank you, (laughs) truly. It's not about the votes received. It's about the friends you made along the way, right? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, that's been your Thanksgiving pageant spectacular for the year. I uh, hope you've had a, a happy holiday to the degree that that's possible. And uh, <laughs> and catch us on our new um, Netflix special next year. We got a $40 million advance. Um, the title is called Cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.